Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new back in America. America. Soccer new. Featuring person. Talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of Soccer Noob Rock in America, featuring my daughter, Person Noob. Hello! Thank you so much for greeting the fine folks, and welcome to our first ever World Cup preview episode, and we're so excited, so much in store. Now, as always, we're going to be previewing matches from soccer leagues and tournaments all over the globe, from soccer countries, big and not so big, as we always do. We want to learn the whole world all at once. Once that's how we're handling our noobness, if that's a word. Uh, we're going to have lots of geography, lots of culture, and lots of football meeting previews, equally lots of fun. Uh, we'll be joined by Twitter man Concagaff, C O N C A G A F F E. I'm sure you're getting the twist on words there, as he has graciously offered to fill us all in on all things the U.S. men's national team as they prepare for their first group stage match against Wales. I can't believe somebody actually wanted to be on the show behind uh, besides us. If you've listened before, it's a little bit odd here sometimes. Well, all the time. But you know what? We're not complaining. We gave him fair warning. He decided to join us. And good on him. We really appreciate it. This week's matches are going to cover... Uh, from Friday, 11-18 through the 24th. So, let's waste no more time and jump right in with... Match number one! Person Noob, were any Friday matches across the globe bright and shiny enough to get our squirrel brains to look at them and include them on our podcast? Nope. Nope, and we are squirrels, aren't we? We yeah. look for the shiny and the best. We're going to start on Saturday and go to Singapore for their FA Cup final. And yes, more than just England and, say, France and Spain have FA Cups. We have one here in the U.S. called the U.S. Open Cup, and they have them in most FIFA nations in the world. Uh, Singapore's, if you're not too familiar with it and you're a newer fan, well, that's because it's been canceled the last two years because of COVID. And unlike FA Cups in most other particularly larger countries where they don't just take teams from the top league, but they dip several leagues down into their soccer pyramid looking for more participants, in Singapore, only the eight teams that are actually a part of the Premier League take place. What's at stake? Well, the winner is going to get to go to the secondary Asian international tournaments, so not the Champions League. They would be going to the AFC Cup. And... Very excited for these participants. You have Hogang United. Hey, that's not how you say it. You cannot say it like that. Hogang? Yeah, that does sound kind of bad, doesn't it? Hogang. Uh, it's H-O-U. Maybe Hogang is right. Yeah. Hogang's funnier. But we don't like to run blue, do we? So I, I would or should never say that. Mm. No. Yeah, you're shaking your head for the most part, which plays really well on audio. <laughs> yeah. And our other team is Tampon Rivers. Hey, also not how you pronounce it. 
Tampines Rovers. Tampines Rovers. Maybe there was a typo there. No, I had a type right. I think maybe I was just trying to be silly. She's covering her eyes in shame, folks. All right. Well, hey, uh, to let you know how these teams played in the regular season did against one another, uh, they both won their road matches in the regular season. Tampines, uh, they really put it to them, won one to four. And then uh, How Gang United, they got their revenge uh, two to four on the road. We will talk about the home team first, Haogang. Now, Haogang is a residential uh, town in the northeast part of Singapore. It's got about 14 million people. Whoa. Wait, no. That doesn't sound correct. It's ha- it's a quarter of a million people. How do you know that about Singapore? Because I'm very smart. Okay. I guess I forgot to put the slash in there if it was supposed to be a quarter million. I'm sure that checks out. Yeah. The team is known as the Cheetahs, which I think is pretty cool because at least it's not Lions. How do we feel about everybody naming their uh, you know, soccer mascot as Lions? We don't like it. No, it's very unique. It's very, uh, un- it's very un-unique. Is that a word? Very cliche. We're much more appreciative of the Cheetahs. However... I do want to point out that their crest is an absolute hot mess. It has like a cheetah or leopard skin kind of print to it. And the whole thing is a mask with the eyes. They're supposed to look really, really evil, but it looks like, uh, uh, it looks like a 1980s animation or kind of cartoon shaped eyes. Very, very cheesy. And I wish that they would do better. Anyway, funny wise, they made the AFC cup group stage this year, and then they finished in second place. That was not good enough to advance, but a good finish just the same. And they also got to play in the AFC cup in 2020, although that got canceled before it got all done. As far as this event, the 2017 version, they made the FA cup semifinal. That's tied for the best they've ever done. They've managed that twice in this year's FA cup. They advanced to the final over league champions, Albirex Niigata, five to seven. The two matches on aggregate were an absolute shitout. Now, did I did it sound like I said that right? Did I get one of the teams right? Albirex Niigata. It's got two eyes, so I'm pretty sure you're supposed to extend the knee to knee just a little bit more. Mm. Albirex Niigata. Does that look right to you, person new? Yeah. All right, good. So I'm batting one for three. That's a pretty good average. Awesome. Uh, They finished the regular season in fifth place out of the eight teams. Uh, The defense was uh, more than a bugaboo. They were giving up two and a half goals per match. Now, they nearly made up for that on offense. Uh, It's a pretty high-scoring league. Uh, They were getting well over two goals per match, but uh, that's really only average when it comes to Singapore. Key players to look for. Tied for fifth place in scoring in the league with 18 goals. Brazilian striker Pedro Bordaluzzo. Uh, Just recently, he helped a Portuguese Division III team, uh, uh, Oliveriense, I want to say. I'm probably getting the pronunciation wrong there, but at least it's not coming out something cheesy. Uh, He helped them get promoted to uh, the second division last year, and then he signed a contract over there. Before that, one of the really good Brazilian teams, Sao Paulo, had the rights to him for four years, but they mostly loaned him out. Second place in assists in the league is Croatian striker Christian Krychek. He had 17 of those. As far as this event, who's been hot? Well, tied for third best in the event scoring with four in the back of the net, uh, homegrown Sahil Suhaimi. Uh, forward, who if you follow international competition closely enough, 
you'll recognize his name. He's got 20 national team caps over the last nine years. And then number one in event assists, also getting four of those, is another Singapore native, uh, Zulfami Arafin, midfielder. He is all over the place. If you find an internet stream, look for him because your eyes will get a workout. He's all over the field, and he's very, very technically gifted, and that's what allows him to play so many uh, positions. And he's got 53 national team caps for Singapore. So these are known quantities over there. Teams form in league play. They won three of their last four. And now the Rovers from Tampines. That's a town in the eastern part of Singapore. Again, about a uh, quarter million people. Same as the other one. I didn't have a slash in here either, person who, but I'm going to remember it right this time that it's probably only a quarter million, not 14 million. So I'm getting better at reading my own typing notes. What do you think of that? That's good. <laughs> it is good. They're known as the Stags, another one that I like, just because it's not Lions. They've won the league title, by the way, in Singapore five times, but not in almost a decade. They've won this particular event four times. Last time was 2019. Give you a little bit overall continental perspective. This team ranks just outside the top 50, according to the AFC club coefficients. They finished this year's league regular season in third place. Now, normally that wouldn't be good enough to go anywhere because only the top two teams get to go to international competition or potentially to international competition. The champions do, of course, but Albirex Niigata won the league, and they're actually a reserve team for one of the Japanese teams. And so they are not eligible, as they are a reserve team, to go to international competition. And because that is the case, uh, that means Tampine Rovers in third place. They get to move up into the second slot for these purposes. And that's an AFC Cup standby position. That means when one of the other teams from a smaller country inevitably drops out, they will get their spot. Now, if this team wins the FA Cup, then their berth into that position will likely be passed to number four, Gay Lang International. So Gay Lang are going to be rooting hard for Tampines Rovers. In league play, they were pretty well balanced. Average defense, uh, top three offense, getting almost two and a third uh, matches per game. This, these, they've got to just be fun to watch. Tahiti's probably the only place I've ever seen stats where they store, score substantially more goals. Number one league scorer with 35. My goodness. Uh, Boris uh, Kapitovic, he's from Montenegro, plays striker for them. He's also fourth in the league in assists with 15. This team, by the way, advanced to the final over number seven, Balestier Calsa, nine to one on aggregate. So their offense is absolutely rolling. They've won eight of their last nine matches. And according to uh, whatever uh, sports book I found, probably Caesars or maybe something international, Tampines Rovers are about a two and a half to one favorite to win this match. Match number B. There it is again, the quizzical number B. Daughter dearest, could you explain why we don't use number two? Because it means taking a big fat shark, a.k.a. bathroom duck. Yes, and we wouldn't want to be uncouth by saying number you know what now, would we? Everybody know what, knows what that means. Yeah. Of course, are we being uncouth by using a portmanteau like shark, given what it stands for? No. <laughs> Perhaps not. We're a paradox. We're an enigma person, noob. A mystery. Wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in warm, pillowy flatbread, ready to be served up at a Taco Bell. Today's episode is not brought to you by Taco Bell. I don't know why I'm talking about soft, warm, pillowy flatbread. It's brought to you by Subway. It is? Why? It I don't, be. Can you remember the last time we had Subway? It should be, because Subway is amazing. 
Maybe it's brought to us by number you know what. No, no, no we don't want to talk it, about that it, in relation to Subway. It's brought to us by our love of Subway. Fair enough. Person Noob's Love of Subway is our official sponsor for this match, at least match number B, which brings us closer to home. Uh, we're back in CONCACAF land for the Liga Nacional from Guatemala. It's the Apertura or opening of their two stages of the season. Just three matches remain. And it's a top two matchup, number one, Antigua, Guatemala, playing host to number B. There it is in action, Comunicaciones. Right now, Antigua lead Comunicaciones by four. So this is their chance to all but mathematically salt the league title away for the regular season. Uh, Comunicaciones, in turn, they lead number three, Coban Imperial, by two. I don't want to say they're mathematically out of it, but this is essentially a two-horse race. Now, the top eight teams are going to make the league playoffs at the end of the year. Obviously, these two are going to be well within that, but it's just worth noting that their overall Apertura season won't quite be over. As far as the series between these two in recent years, they may be number B right now, but they are number one in the series. Comunicación have accrued an 18, 13, and 11 record recently. Earlier, when Comunicaciones got to host, though, they only managed a 2-2 draw. Let's talk about Antigua first as the host. Uh, that is in the central highlands of the country, uh, a little bit under 50,000 people in that small city. It's really best known probably internationally as having some of the best language immersion schools for learning Spanish in all of Central America. Uh, also, this is an agricultural region. They grow a lot of coffee, no surprise there. And there's a lot of tourism. In fact, because of the architecture, the entire town is considered a UNESCO heritage site, which is incredible. The team has three different names, uh, Green Bellies, which is named after one of their main colors, uh, the Colonials, because the city was founded by Spaniards, and the Avocado Producers, which isn't really intimidating. Uh, something might be lost in the translation, as so, ha so often happens on this particular program. 2021-22 uh, Clausura stage, the last completed stage. This team only finished in sixth place. Uh, they did make the playoff semifinals. As recently as 2014, they were actually in the second division. So this is sort of a newer rising power, if you will. In 2015, they hadn't even earned their way up. They actually bought... Uh, the, the license or league position from a club called Herediano Jaguares. I don't know if they exist anymore. This team has won the league title four different times. The last time was the 2019 Clausura stage. 2016-17, they got to go to the CONCACAF Champions League and actually made it all the way to the group stage. That's really something because this is, I think, just a middling at best team uh, or league even in Central America. Their defense uh, barely average in this league, but their number uh, their number one offense made up for that. They were number one by a ton. Uh, they were the only ones scoring over two goals per match, and they had the best goal differential in the league, key metric in my mind, and it was better than uh, two times as good as anybody else's. Number one league scorer is theirs to boast of. He's netted 12. That's Lucas Gomez, Argentinian veteran attacker, 35 years old. His entire career, he's been in South and Central America, except for one very interesting year. And I see this every so often where a person will spend all their time in one part of the world, and then they'll go off and have a little adventure for a year. He played it. He played at Azerbaijan for a club called Nefchi Baku. I'm not even sure he made that many appearances. Oh, and we do have a USA player connection here. Uh, Dennis Ramirez. This is a great whatever happened to 
uh, player segment that we like to do because he came up with uh, New England Revolution, made a few appearances for them on the reserve team in 2020 and in 2021, plays midfielder. He's only 21 years old. I have a feeling the Revolution are keeping their eyes open uh, for this guy, but statistically I don't know that he's had a particularly strong year or anything. Team's current form, they have won seven straight matches and they are unbeaten in their last 11. And now the more established traditional power out of the capital city of Guatemala City, that's Comunicaciones. Their crest is interesting. It's got a depiction of mountains, but they're kind of the sort of thing that you would see in a well-drawn children's book in my mind. And then there's uh, what I thought might be a ski lift, but I'm sure it's a power line because of Comunicaciones that connects from the side of the crest over into those mountains. It's very interesting. They wanted to make sure that people knew they were a public utility company. Uh, Their team mascot, I'm not sure how it's related. Uh, It's Casper, the ghost. I don't know that he is friendly or not specifically. Hopefully he is. Uh, The note that I found online said that he was bought in the 1980s for $2,000 from Miami. I don't know if that means that they bought the mascot rights or something like that off a club in Miami, or if somebody simply paid $2,000 and bought the costume that they're using in Miami. Perhaps a deeper uh, rabbit trail dive is in order sometime, but not today. These are your league defending champions, and they've won a total of 31 league titles, best in nation's history. Uh, CONCACAF Champions League, or what is now called that, they were co-awarded the title with that of two other teams. That was all the way back in 1978. They won the CONCACAF League in 2021. That's a feeder tournament for the CONCACAF Champions League, but I don't think they really made any noise once they got to the CCL. Still a fine feather in their cap, though. This year, statistically very well balanced. Tied for second best on offense, one and a half goals per match. Now, keep in mind what we said before with that other team getting well over two goals per match. So even though ordinarily this is a team that's very close in overall ability or production, they are not. They've also got a top three defense. Tied for number six in league scoring with six goals on the season. Uh, Luis Landin, a Mexican player, 37 years old, another veteran. Uh, he played for Cruz Azul and Houston. Kind of went back and forth between the two teams in 2009-2010. Another little whatever happened to. I don't know if he was a big star with either of those teams, but fans of them might recognize the name. Team's current form, uh, they just suffered a 1-2 loss at number 7, Achuapa, uh, but that did break a 7-match unbeaten streak. Match number 3. Our third match is another Saturday match happening here in our region, and to be honest, it is not a particularly high-stakes match. With the World Cup approaching, we've got a little bit more leeway when it comes to league and other international play. A lot of folks on Twitter that we follow have been talking about it, and we wanted to join in. And it's uh, St. Lucia versus San Marino, very small Caribbean country uh, versus uh, one of the microstates over in Europe. Uh, San Marino got their only ever win in 2004. 125 matches later, uh, they have a real chance to end their winless streak uh, against St. Lucie. Though I've actually played a match on Thursday. They're not just going to play one game since they're traveling so far. And then they're doing another one on Saturday. It's going to be really exciting to see if either of these teams can score on one another, pull off a win, Uh, obviously because these are uh, basically both microstates. They're both very far down the FIFA coefficients. They just don't get a lot of chance to play or 
you know, let alone uh, win or get positive results. And thusly, we want to know how to gamble on this thing. If we're celebrating microstates, why not? Let's make some quid. We got to send person new to college and pay off this darn mortgage. And as we always do about this time of show, we will turn our attentions to our 3,500-year-old in-house prognosticator, Noob Stradamus, to let us know exactly how we should gamble on this thing. Please take it away, almighty soothsayer. Greetings from Sicily. Tis I. I have wandered westward to Sicily upon hearing you wish a soccer score for a place named for Christian martyr St. Luci. I fear a troubling vision, perhaps not even suitable for the ears of person new and those her age. Warned you are as I smoke my leaf and travel once again through space and time. The darkness lifts, and I find myself standing in ashes and blood. See, I told you... Syracuse, Sicily was a dark place for those of her faith around 300 AD, as she and hers became most heavily persecuted. Luci secretly gave herself over to the god of Christianity, not uncommon in this time. Her heart was true. Born of rich, noble folk, she had a substantial dowry, even after her father died when she was five. Her mother became gravely ill some years later. Afraid of leaving her young daughter guardianless, she betrothed her to a wealthy pagan. To avoid this fate, Luci considered taking out her own eyes. Some believe this was how she lost them. Perhaps better had it been that way. After her mother became well, Luci had her agreed to give away the dowry riches to the poor. Furious, the snubbed suitor reported her as Christian to the local authorities. When they came to take Luci away, miraculously, even a team of oxen could not pull her. So they placed wood around her and set it ablaze, the ashes in which I eerily stand. But Luci would not burn. She would not see the sword put through her throat finally, because they had gouged her eyes. Luci, lose for light. Now, patron saint to the blind. A tragic ending for a girl sainted 300 years later. After that, explorers would land on now Saint Luci on her December feast day. My vision. It fades. Noob, for Lucci's two eyes lost, I divine that they will lose zero to two. I have seen, and I have spoken. Match number four!
This is our final Saturday match of the podcast, and it comes to us from the Premier League of war-torn Ukraine, but we are not simply including them out of some sort of misplaced pity. This is just a soccer podcast. We're just thrilled that they're playing, but the matchup is a great one. Uh, number one in the table, Dnipro 1, taking on number B, Shakhtar Donetsk. Now, this is the 16th-ranked league in all of UEFA. So two of their teams will actually get to go to the Champions League. They're high enough for that. But neither one will get to start in the group stage. They also send a team from league play to the Europa League, the secondary international tournament, the playoff round, and then two teams to the tertiary tournament, Europa Conference League. They're almost halfway through the season here, and both teams are still undefeated. Right now, Dnipro won. They lead uh, Shakhtar by five in the table. So... While a win here wouldn't exactly salt away the league, an eight-point deficit would be hard to overcome, even for a historical power like Shakhtar, I'm sure. Now, it's worth noting that Shakhtar do have a match in hand, so this is a little bit closer in a way than the five points that we're talking about. And then there are a couple of other teams that aren't completely out of it. Uh, Shakhtar lead two other teams themselves by four points. One of them could get hot, but I wouldn't count on it. The series between these two, it has been all Shakhtar. They have a 6-0-0 record accrued in recent seasons. But we will talk about Dnipro first as the home size. Not only the name of the club, but also the name of the city. It's the fourth largest at about a million in the country. It's in the east central part. Right now, this is a really key point for uh, both refugees and for international aid coming in. So you've probably seen Dnipro in the news quite a bit. This is also a big industrial center for the country, particularly when it comes to doing things with heavy metals. The club is a very young one, at least in its current form, founded in 2017. It's sort of the unofficial successor, if you will, to FC Dnipro, which is a club that was founded all the way back in 19 that declared bankruptcy, I believe, in 2018. That might be a typo. It might have been 2016. In any case, realistically, this is the club that took over for them just with new ownership of some kind, I'm sure. Uh, they made Division One in 2019. So if this is a name that's unfamiliar to you, as it was to me, that is why. Uh, they made and lost in the Europa League second quali uh, qualifying round this year, by the way. So they had a pretty good 2021. They're about to play AEK Larnaca from Cyprus in the Europa Conference League playoff round. So when you lose in the Europa League, you get to drop down a tournament. Imagine if they did that for American basketball, where you get to potentially lose early on in the uh, NCAA tournament and then drop down to the NIT. I think it would make it more interesting in a way. Last year, this team finished in third place. Hence the reason they got to go to international play, but not the Champions League. Number one on offense and defense this year. They're getting two and a third goals per match and only giving up a little bit over a goal every other match. They've got the best goal differential, obviously, but not by leaps and bounds. Donetsk are not going anywhere. This team does have the number one league score with nine on the season in Artem uh, Dovik, I think it's pronounced D-O-B-V-Y-K. He plays forward for them. Uh, they got him out of Mituland, out of the Danish top flight. And he's been a recent national team player. He's got 14 caps uh, for back home or for this country since uh, last year. He's also tied for third place. No, he is not. We do have a couple of players tied for third place in assists that I want to make mention of. They've got four each. Giannis uh, Hamache from Algeria and Alexander P. 
Pikalyanok. I forgot to practice that one, but that actually might be right. Who knows? And they've got the number one goalkeeper in the league with seven clean sheets in Max Weyleth out of Brazil. He was with Ford Aleitza his entire career, but he only made 19 apps, uh, appearances. In fact, I read a little note on him. Not only did he get very few appearances, he wasn't even the regular backup goalie. He was usually the third or even fourth string. So I guess he finally decided that he wanted to get some playing time and decided to move on from home. Team's current form, 2-1-0 in their last three. They just uh, kind of, it wasn't a loss, but it's got to feel like one. They went to number nine, Vorskla, and only managed to draw 1-1. And now Shakhtar, they are known as the Miners or the Moles. Uh, Due to the war, they've been playing actually for a few years in other places in the country. Uh, Currently, they're hosting their matches in uh, Kiev, although obviously they're on the road for this one. They've won 14 league titles since the nation's independence, and they are your defending champions. They won the now Europa League. It was under a different name at the time in 2008-2009. As far as uh, the Champions League 2012-2013 season, they made the round of 16, best they've ever done. This year, they finished in third place in their Champions League in the group stage, so they dropped down to the Europa League, and they're about to play RAN from France uh, in the Europa League playoff round. This year, uh, they're just uh, behind statistically uh, only the leaders in Dnipro. They've got second-best offense and defense and goal differential. Tied for number three on scoring for the league with six is Danilo Saikon, a native forward, just 21 years old. Uh, pretty recently, he had been on loan uh, from Hansa Rostock, a second-division team over in Germany. So if he's going to move on on anywhere in his young age, and I'm betting he will at some point, they'll see a lot of potential there. My guess is it'll be a Bundesliga club. And number one in assists with five on the air is Mikhailo Mudrik, a winger, 21 years old. It's been looking for a while like a transfer to the Premier League's Arsenal team has been coming, but it just keeps on not quite manifesting itself. Team's current form, 2-1-0 in their last three, and they just managed only a draw at home, but against a tougher opponent, uh, number three, Zoria Luhansk. We move on to Sunday, and at last, the long wait is over, the beginning of the World Cup. Now, before we get into the first match of the tournament, for new or burgeoning fans who may have found us, because we have noob in our name, let my daughter, 10-year-old person noob, let you in on a few of the basics in case you're not familiar. And for veteran fans, this is only about 90 seconds. You won't have to wait long. Take it away, daughter dearest. The World Cup is once every four years. The U.S. didn't make it in 2018, so this is a big deal that they're back. But we don't really have to wait four years because the Women's World Cup is next year. All the matches are in Qatar this time. Normally, the World Cup is in the summer. The desert's more than hot enough there in the winter, though, so they moved it to now. 32 teams from five of the six continental confederations are here. New Zealand lost their playoff match to get in, so Oceania is not represented. Sad Hawkeye face. The other teams all had to get in by finishing at or near the top of qualifying tournaments in their home region. You don't get in just by being highly ranked. Looking at you, Italy. Of course, that's good for some teams. Nice work, Ecuador. The teams have been drawn into groups of four that are designed to be pretty much equal in difficulty. Each team will play each other's team in their group once. 
The top two finishers from each group will move on to the knockout stage. That's brackets, like the NCAA basketball tournament. There's your basics from me, Professor Persianoob. Do I really have to say that, Dad? Professor? Wow. Match number five. Awesome job, kiddo. And now let's get into the Group A match, the first one of the tournament. It is your hosts, Qatar, taking on Ecuador. They're in the same group with Senegal and the Netherlands. They're playing this at Albait Stadium in Alcor, which holds about 60,000 people. Uh, they started this uh, building it either just in 2014 or in 2008, kind of in preparation for their bid. Uh, by the way, Alcor, that city, is only about 20 minutes from Doha, the capital. That's the advantage of a small country geographically like this is that everything is pretty compressed. And by the way, this is a historic match because it's the first time a World Cup has been hosted by an Arab nation. You can catch this historic one at 11 o'clock in the morning on Fox Sports 1 or on Telemundo. By the way, that's Eastern time. Qatar, your host, they automatically qualified their national team being the host nation. They also got the advantage of being placed, as happens every four years for the hosts, into pot one. What does that mean? Well, in terms of how they handle the drawing for, again, newer or more burgeoning fans, the 32 teams were divided by seeding or FIFA ranking into eight groups. And then to determine who was going to be in each group, you drew one team out of each pot. Well, Qatar, even though by seeding they should not be in pot one, get the advantage of being placed in pot one. And that will in turn be a slight advantage for the three teams, perhaps that get drawn against them. Although even though they're playing a quote unquote weaker team, they will be playing them on their home turf, so to speak. Qatar, by the way, is ranked number 50 in the world. Now six teams from Asia made it in only the Saudi Arabian side from the AFC is ranked lower and just barely lower number 51. And then I believe Ghana uh, which is ranked number 61, is the only other lower-ranked team that actually made the World Cup. So if you're looking at the rankings, uh, Qatar should actually finish last in their group, on paper anyway. So this is probably Ecuador's best chance for a win or at least a positive result. Now, only once has a host team not made the knockout round. So if you're a gambler, this might be, I would avoid it personally. Weak team, but on their home field, knowing that this is a very tricky one. Now, Qatar are known as the Maroon, and this is their first ever World Cup appearance. Uh, they've won all five of their friendlies that they've played since October, warming up for this event. They played four CONCACAF teams plus Albania, and none of those CONCACAF teams were the big three over here. They've lost six straight matches to teams that actually are in this year's World Cup. Looking at some other experiences they've had, the 2021 FIFA Arab Cup, uh, they won their group of four teams and then made the tournament semifinals. They even beat Egypt on penalty kicks to finish in third place. And while Egypt did not make the World Cup, they're probably the best African team that didn't. Since 1976, they have also qualified for all but two of the Asian Cups. Now, that's basically their equivalent of the European Championships over in Asia. They even won that event in 2019. So this is a team that's on the rise. Uh, they also won something called the Gulf Cup, which has eight member nations, three different times, most recently in 2014. And they uh, won something called the WAFF title that same year. I believe they were guests. I think that's, no, I was going to say it's West African, but that was the West Asian Football Federation. So they've had some really good years and experiences over, uh, you know, since the 20th century started, basically. 
2021, they were guest participants in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, which was our national championships, and they finished in third place. Pretty nice showing. Looking at their roster, I doubt this is an accident. All of their players play on Qatari clubs. They don't have anybody playing abroad from their main roster. Key players to look for. Almoez Ali, their striker. He's been with Al Duhail, that club, since 2016. He's actually Sudani born, so he's a naturalized citizen, which is somewhat controversial. They seem to have, I believe, if I'm getting this right, this rule in Qatar, that if you've uh, worked there and lived there for five consecutive years, or maybe just lived there, that you're automatically eligible to be a naturalized citizen. And some of the players who they are saying have completed uh, that criteria have probably not, to be perfectly honest, but they're just trying really, really hard to get to a competitive point. Now, uh, Almoaz Ali, he has scored uh, 26 goals all-time and is the second all-time leading scorer for the Qatar national team. This is a guy who excels on the counterattack. European footy fans, you might recognize his name if your interests run deep enough. He played in Austria for a pretty good club called LASK once, and he has earned 85 national team caps. So he has been in Qatar for a few years at least. Another key player to look for on the defensive side of the ball, their leader is Abdel Karim Hassan, left back who plays for Al Saad, one of the really good clubs over there. He is lightning fast, and so this is a team that's going to be uh, used to running the counterattack. They've been together for a very long time. He's got 130 national team caps. European fans might recognize his name. He uh, played once on loan for a Belgian club that's in the top flight right now, but I'm not sure that they're in the top flight every year called UPenn. And then another to look for, Hassan Alhados, their midfielder. He's been with his, Al-Sad his entire career. He is their captain, and he has gotten nearly 170 national team caps, which is uh, the highest one for this particular team, highest number. And now Ecuador, they're ranked just a little bit higher by FIFA at number four, 44 in the world, far and away the lowest ranked team of the four CONMEBOL entrants, CONMEBOL being the South American Continental Confederation. Uh, they qualified as a fourth place finisher in their qualifying tournament. In that event, they were tied for second best in offense, getting a goal and a half a game, uh, top four defense. So this was not a fluke. They finished right about where they should. In fact, they had the third best goal differential. Tied for number six in event scoring with six on uh, for that particular event, uh, Michael Estrada, their forward. Uh, Mexican fans will recognize his name more than likely. Uh, he's been with Cruz Azul, or he is with Cruz Azul, and he's on loan from Toluca. And then he also made 16 loan appearances last year for DC United MLS fans, even had four goals for them. The team is 2-4-0 in their last six friendlies since their World Cup qualification. Those were all nil-nil or one-nil wins. This is a team that is perfectly happy to give up some position, lay back, let the other team kick it to the goal for a while, try to break down a low block or something like that, and hopefully get a one-nil win on a counter. This is Ecuador's fourth World Cup appearance. Their first one ever was in 2002. Uh, the next iteration, 2006, they made the round of 16. That's the best they've ever done. In the South American Championships, known as the Copa America, uh, they finished number four a couple different times, including, I believe, the last iteration, uh, the one before that in 1994. 2021, they even made the quarterfinals. So as surprised as I am that this team made it, they have been on the rise, and maybe it shouldn't be a total shock. 
Now, if you've been catching any of the news at all, you might be aware that Chile has been trying to get Ecuador kicked out of the tournament. They have they have a player named Brian Castillo, who, to be honest, I'm not even sure made their final roster, but I know that he had been for a while, and uh, Chile was saying that he should not have been eligible for the team. I think they discovered that in the investigation FIFA did or CONMEBOL did, but decided not to uh, punish Ecuador quite that hard and kick them out of the World Cup. Uh, key players that probably are eligible for them, uh, Ener Valencia. He is the top scorer in the Turkish Super League this year with 13 goals so far, plays for a team called Fenerbahce, and he is uh, the uh, all-time leading scorer for the Ecuadorian national team. Mexican fans, yeah, this same guy, spent the heart of his career with UANL Tigres. Uh, he's also played for Pachuca, and then he even played for West Ham in his career over in the Premier League and did a little time with Everton on loan. On the defensive side, playing for Brighton and Hove Albion of the Premier League, they've got a left back. His name is Purvis. Let's hope I get this right. Uh, Estupinian. And then their wigger, 22 years old, Gonzalo Plata, another key player. Three uh, goals in the qualifiers, all from off the bench. He's very young. He's not been a starter, but what a contributor he's been. So this is a guy that they might uh, bring in for speed and defensive help, and he can help start on those breaks too. A recap of last week's matches, but of course, after all, kitties ask for it by name. Match number one for last week was a Saturday match between number one for the regular season, Celaya, and number B, Atlante, from Mexico's Liga de Expansión, the Aventura final, second match of the home and away two-legged tie. And it was Atlante getting an upset one to three. The first match had been played to a nil-nil draw, and therefore Atlante are your champions. Congratulations. Match number B from Peru's Liga 1 season finale. It was Alianza Lima taking on FBC Melgar. And your traditional power, Alianza Lima, they won 2-0. Match number 3. Belarus's Premier League was the place for number B, Energetic BGU, and number 4, Dinamo Minsk in the last match weekend of the season. It started with Shakhtar in first and Jatik in second. B-A-T-E Borisov, your usual winner in third. And Dinamo Minsk in fourth and sitting out when it comes to international play. Now, Dinamo Minsk, they won one to three, but nevertheless, that wasn't going to be enough for them. Shakhtar ended up winning the league by five. Ender Jatik and B-A-T-E finishing second and third, and they get the Europa Conference League spots. Dinamo Minsk are out. So sorry, despite their win. Match number four from Latvia's higher league, number B, Riga FC, took on number three, RFS. It's RFS that got the win on the road, nil to one. And so we congratulate Valmiera for winning the league by five. Riga FC and RFS, they will get the Europa Conference League first, finishing in second and third place. Sunday, match number five, San Antonio took on Louisville out of USL Championship for the final, and the result was a San Antonio 3-1 win. Now, two-time defending titleists. Match number six from the Women's Champions League in Africa. They have reached their final, and what a dandy. ASFAR and your underdogs, even at home out of Morocco, playing host to May Maloney Sundowns, your defending champs from the very first year that they ever held this event. And the Moroccans absolutely put a hurting on them. FAR won 4-0. Gal, we said to look for as possible player of the match. Well, she was exactly that. 
and Tissam Giraldi ended up with a hat trick in goals. Match number seven from the Apertura final of the Premier División in El Salvador. CDFAS took on Jokoro, and it was the traditional powerhouse in FAS winning 2-0. Match number eight, an FA Cup final from Chile between Union Española and Magallanes from the second division. The big reason that we decided to focus on this particular one, Magallanes are getting promoted to the top flight next year, and they're bringing a trophy with them. They won the final 2-2 and then 6-7 on penalty kicks for Union Española, player who said to look for Leandro Garate had a goal. Match number nine, another South American FA Cup final, this one from Uruguay. And we had another first versus second division team matchup, Defensor Sporting and La Luz. This time it was the top fighters winning 1-0. Congrats to Sporting. Match number 10, effectively your only match that wasn't literally or virtually a trophy match. Nevertheless, a dandy from Germany's Bundesliga. Number B, Union Berlin traveled to number three, Freiburg, and they're wishing they hadn't gone. They lost four to one. Vincenzo Grifo had a brace of goals. We said to look for him, but nobody saw this coming, I don't think. He scored in the fourth, sixth, and 20th minutes. That moves Freiburg up to second place and knocks Union Berlin all the way down to number five after their hot league start. And we had an extra match, match number 11, the second leg of the two-legged home-and-away tie in the Apertura stage from the final in Liga MX Femenil, UNAL versus America. And it was the Tigres of UNAL winning again 2-0. They had also won the first leg 1-0 and therefore are your league champions. And now your three bonus matches with explanations coming later. Sunday's route of the week match from the first league of the Czech Republic. Number one, Victoria Pielsen went to number 16, last place Pardubici. And while not quite an upset sounder, we did have a surprise result. It was last place Pardubici managing a 1-1 draw. Congratulations to them on the minor scalp. And now your most meaningless match of the world last week. From Sunday, North Macedonia's first league. Number seven, Macedonia GP took on number six, FK Bragalnica Steep, and they played appropriately for the most meaningless match of the world to a nil-nil boring draw. And then your match of disappointed Wednesday from Zambia's Premier League. Number 17, Cowboy Warriors played number 18 in last place, BuildCon. And as is appropriate for a matchup, disappointed. Nobody got a win. They played to a 1-1 draw. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into recapping the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. This Sunday match is another example of us getting to take a look at one that we might not normally really have the space to highlight. The match itself is not necessarily super, super high stakes, but it's from a big event the Coupe de France, and from a really interesting point in it, one of the qualifying rounds, specifically the eighth qualifying round. And since the World Cup quote-unquote break is going on and there are fewer leagues and fewer tournaments happening, that gives us the leeway to include this in our episode. Here at the eighth round, it's so captivating to me because included here are the four remaining clubs still alive from the French overseas territories. In addition to that, you're getting teams that are entering the qualifying rounds right now from all the way up in the second tier of French football, League Two. So you might see some matchups uh, with teams and players of really disparate abilities. Because, like, for example, the French Overseas Territory teams, I believe they're sort of unofficially and collectively thought of as being part of the sixth tier ability-wise of French football. 
Now, the winners of this round are going to get to advance to the round of 64. That is thought of as the event proper because that is where the League One teams, all the best ones like PSG and all those others, get to enter in. The match that we're going to look at, I picked specifically because it is the only one being hosted by one of the overseas teams, and that is a team called La Tamponese. I promise that I didn't pick this just because, yeah, it it spells exactly like it sounds, and it, it looks really, really interesting, and that's a diplomatic way of putting it. Tamponese, uh, you make the punchline in your mind. I'm not going to. They are playing host to French mainland team, a level t- a level five team called FCM Aubervilliers. Now, every single year, there's no guarantee that any of the matches are going to get hosted uh, either here in Rion, where uh, Le Tampanese is from, or in any of the French Caribbean overseas territories. The FA does not in France force any of the mainland teams to make a trip of that length. Instead, they do it the other way around, and the French Football Association pays for it. But the FA, the Football Association of France, will also pay the bill if any of the teams want to throw their name in the hat and potentially get drawn to be a visiting team in the Caribbean or out in the Atlantic Ocean. And why wouldn't you want an all-expenses play trip, uh, pay trip potentially to the Caribbean or even the Atlantic Ocean? So a few teams every year do throw their name into that hat, and this time Aubervilliers got drawn for it, and they are getting to make the thousands-of-mile trip to east of Madagascar, where Reunion is, by about 600 miles. All right, so there's your landscape. Now the match. La Tamponese plays out of the commune of Le Tampon. Now, in pop culture, uh, this is probably, unfortunately, best known for a purported sorcerer and murder from the late 19th century named Citerane, Citerane. And I only uh, chuckle a little bit to keep from weeping because he was a really, really gory murderer. And... uh, Unfortunately, there's still a real cult following of his. His grave site is even a really big deal down there. Now, uh, Le Tampon is the fourth biggest commune on the island. It's in the south central part, about 80,000 strong. The team, they entered at the seventh round where they had to play a team from their own country. That happens in the seventh round for all the overseas territories with two teams still left alive. And so they advanced to this round by beating uh, their brethren J.S. St. Pierrois, nil-nil, and then 4-5 on penalty kicks. Now, because there's uh, out in the uh, Indian Ocean but fairly close to Africa, these teams from this country are actually associated with the African Football Confederation, but they still get to play in the French FA Cup. They have been to the Champions League in Africa four different times. Last time was 2009. They've never made it past the first round. Domestically, they are excellent. 11 Premier League titles in Reunion, and uh, they won it last in uh, 2021. You're defending champions. They've been to the Coupe de France five different times. Last time was a decade ago, but a few years before that, they actually got their biggest scalp ever, so to speak. It sounds like a German team. I'm sure it's near the border. I promise you they're French. They beat in 2007 or late 2006 a team called Schlittigheim from the fifth tier. Only only time they've ever beaten a French mainland team, I believe. Now, this year, their league is just about over, and they are in a distant fourth place. Uh, The defense is the issue, at least ordinarily. They only give up a little bit over one goal per match, but it's not a high-scoring league. They've got a top-four offense. They're sort of the best of the rest over there. They're actually 21 points behind uh, St. Dennis, so essentially it's a three-horse race in their home territory. 
And now, Aubervilliers. If you have visited Paris before, there's a chance you know this area, as Aubervilliers is one of the suburbs. It's in the northeast, about 90,000 people. Back when it was first getting formed up, uh, it was known as Notre Dame de Virtu and was, and perhaps still is, known for producing the most quality vegetables in all of Paris. Sort of a funny thing to be famous for. I mean, how much better can the vegetables be from one spot to another in one greater metro area? But apparently they are. As I mentioned before, this is a fifth-year, uh, fifth-tier team. They play in what is known as the Championnat Three. In 2015-16, they were actually relegated uh, down from the fourth level, which to me sounds like a top amateur league. So this is not a team full of play- paid players, and I think there's a real chance that Tampanese could compete with them. Uh, that said, they did just beat a League 2 side called Cavilli Ruin. It's not one of the stronger ones, but it's still a Tier 2 side. They beat them 1-1 on penalty kicks uh, in the, and then in the seventh round. And by the way, one more little side note before we move on to our weekday matches. I wanted to cover this particular match just because of the name, and I want to give it a try here. The name, this is the longest club name I've ever seen. They're from the ninth tier of French football. Union Saint um, Esteve, Espoir, Perpignan, Mediterranean, Metropole. I think there's a chance out of those like seven words that I might have gotten three of them right. Vegas probably has the over under it too. And now, what perhaps many of you have been waiting for. Our match preview for the USA's first World Cup match in eight years. Here to tell us about the USMNT team is our Twitter pal, Konkagaf. For the Zoom interview, he got all dressed up in colorful Korean silks and a crazy sombrero and all sorts of other stuff. He even showed a cool mariachi doll for me to name. I call him Jeffrey Ree. <laughs> so he's weird, like Dad. But unlike Dad, he actually knows his sport. Let's listen in as the gaff tells us about our national team as my dad tries to keep up and at least sound knowledgeable. What an unbelievable week, an unbelievable day here at Soccer New Brock in America, because somehow, some way, I feel like we have conned somebody into thinking that we have a legitimate show uh, with real football information, and somebody has agreed to actually be on the show. We would like to welcome our guest, who is known on Twitter as Concagaff, G-A-F-F-E on the end. Hello, uh, Concagaff or Gaff, as I think we agreed we might go with. Oh, uh, well, hello. It's um super excited to be here thanks for having me on um i just want to say real quick that uh i'm a noob as well at this you know online speaking and uh presentation so thanks for letting me jump in and looking forward to having some fun oh i think this is going to be absolutely great uh you mentioned before we started the recording that you've often thought about you know trying to jump on you know uh, be a caller or whatever or join maybe even as a guest on on other shows slightly more established and long-standing shows particular to u.s soccer and i think this will be a a great jumping off point for you to sort of uh, cut your teeth on talking about the things you want to say about both yourself and specifically heading into the world cup if you decide to uh jump on to some other shows as the weeks go on and that event continues well that sounds a little intimidating (laughs) being on the on the uh, podcast circuit but uh you know i'm just i was originally attracted to your show because you talk about about a lot of teams you know out out there in the different countries of the world and different 
you know, obscure areas and I love geography and I've traveled a lot. So that's, that's where the, uh, uh, that's how I became a fan, I guess you would say of uh, the noob show. Well, we are certainly flattered because, you know, just the idea that anybody would, you know, you know, you know, me and my kid talking about geography and trying to cover somehow, some way, every single league in the world, even as we don't really know anything hardcore about the, you know, the play on the field. Uh, that's really exciting for us. We're happy to share, you know, the things that, you know, we're able to learn about quickly and that we're interested in. But uh, I know that for you personally, being something uh, of a, uh, of a geography nerd, if that's the right term, comes from uh, your background and not necessarily uh, growing up or growing up entirely here stateside. Could you uh, give us a little bit of an intro on that? Sure. Well, my father had been in the uh, U.S. Army um, and was stationed over there, so he was familiar a little bit with Korea. He came back to the States, got married, and then they um, ended up with a job opportunity over there, so they moved, and I went over there pretty young, uh, grew up, uh, and kind of got introduced to the, to the game because, you know, a lot of people played in the streets. You know, there's a lot of concrete in Seoul, Korea, and like kids would play on those streets and, you know, bang the soccer ball off the, off the walls. Uh, so that's kind of where I picked it up. Kind of a, kind of a mix of volleyball and uh, futsal, maybe almost, it sounds like in some sure, cases. Sure. Uh, they did, a, you know, there were schools and whatnot that had, um, uh, I guess you would say, yards in the f in uh, courtyards or whatever where you know kids could play different sports. Um, but those didn't have grass. There's just way too much foot traffic, so a lot of those fields were gravel, um, and that's kind of also. <laughs> It sounds like uh, the equivalent of uh, playing on a skinned field for uh, baseball or softball. You can sure. do it, but it's not always the safest thing in the world. Slide tackling is uh, a little bit uh, bad for your health. <laughs> uh, we were wanting to have you on because as as noobs, my daughter and I, you know, we are still very much learning a lot about the game of soccer. And uh, some of our audience is very, very veteran. They like to uh, follow us for kind of a change of pace, the leagues we cover. But some of our audience... Uh, they are pretty new to the game in general as well. So uh, what do you think we can expect from the UN's men's uh, national team, just broadly speaking? Well, the biggest question that I have, I guess, um, is just the, the tactics of the manager. I mean, uh, a lot of people have wondered you know, if if he tends to make decisions too late in the game, you know, like, for example, does he sub too late or does he make the wrong substitutions or, you know, even like with a starting roster, like maybe uh, everyone thinks a lot of people would think, you know, he's going to play the best, the so-called best players on the roster. But then when the roster comes out, there might be so, a one so if they should missing. happen to fall behind early it sounds like there's a question of will the necessary adjustments be uh, made in time or come a little bit too late i know that uh, greg likes to use late subs it seems like right and, and it's especially like we have seen points in the last you know year where we've as the communities kind of feels like you know you know greg has learned some you know hard lessons and is starting to to show some improvement <laughs> in those regards. Um, but the, this is a little bit different this time against Wales because 
you know, there's three tough games relatively close to each other. And so the question, I guess, would be, you know, is he just going to come out strong with all of his the so-called top talent that we have? Uh, or is he going to try to play this game where maybe he puts a veteran in a particular spot um, that we wouldn't expect? Um, you know, maybe we thought that person would have been uh, like a backup player for that position, but then they get thrown in. So, for example, I'm thinking of the right back position. A lot of people just expect Serginho Dest, who's who's a great player, very skilled, played with uh, Messi back in the day at Barcelona. We expect him to be at the right back, but I'm thinking he's going to put uh, DeAndre uh, Yedlin in there, who's a veteran, um, not as fast as he used to be, but I think he's going to put them put a guy like that in. Sure. As a kind of like a statement move yeah. uh, that he's relying on, like a kind of a balance team. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't have a lot of veteran presence to uh, rely on for this. The U.S., it's the youngest or one of the youngest teams average age in the tournament. Is that right? That's right. And DeAndre Yedlin is the only one with uh, World Cup experience. That's another reason I think he'll put him in there on that first game. Um but that position is going to be one to watch, you know, that right back position because the Wales has got Gareth Bale, who's can be a pretty explosive player. And I think Greg, yeah, he's, want... he's scored a few big ones, won a couple of trophies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Greg will try to, you know, have DeAndre Yedlin kind of like mark him real close, as close as possible. And that's going to take a lot of energy. So maybe he's going to save, um, Serginho Dest for the next game so that would be one position that's going to be really interesting in my opinion and then also on that right side he's probably going to put Tim Remit up there to try to stretch that back line of the the Welsh team so you know Pulisic of course is important but I don't really see much strategy from Greg regarding Pulisic that's that's kind of where it's going to go. I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. So uh, Pulisic or Pulisic, depending on how different people in different parts of the world are pronouncing it. I like the traditional one that you're using. That's a name that even the rawest of noobs, I would think anybody who's got interest in finding soccer for the World Cup is already going to be familiar with his name. Uh, I've already talked a little bit about Dest and Yedlin and who might get started. Um, who are some, I know who all the players on the team are, but who do you think is going to be uh, a key and or surprising to the USMNT's hopeful success? Well, it's definitely uh, tricky just because I'm not sure, you know, how Greg is going to handle these three games, you know, like you've, there's this sense of like, maybe he's going to have to rest a few people here and there somehow. Um, but another Oh, definitely. Yunus Musa is going to be a big, big time um, key player uh, together with, you know, as he plays there in the in the back midfield w- with Adams. Um, the question, the, the big question I have, too, is like what's going to happen on the left side. Everybody knows um, Jedi um, Anthony Robinson or A-Rob, as people call him. Uh, the question I think he's he's definitely key uh, for that left side. Um, 
the the question for me is like what happens if he gets injured or needs you know a rest uh maybe maybe these players uh unless they're in coming off that injury like i think dust was slightly had some muscle fatigue or something uh so if it's not a player like that you know how far can they go um but this is this is a long tournament you know and uh and another a question tournament just as importantly they have their second game i believe just four or five days after the first one ah uh, okay I guess a benefit would be that in Qatar, Qatar, everyone is pretty close. There's no long distance traveling. Um, yeah, I know where the U.S. where the U.S. is playing. I think is in one of the more outlying ones. That even at the the uh, Al Bait, if I'm saying you're right, or Al Bait B A Y T Stadium, um, that holds 60,000, 60, I think a pretty big one. Um, that was only, I think, started got built in 2008. Is just huge, and it's even it's only like 20 miles outside of. Uh, of Doha, which is where everything, of course, will be centered there in the capital. So even if the games are somewhat compressed, at least they're not having to move around and travel. I think that's an excellent point. So do you think that teams are, uh, do you think that other teams are likely to, um, if if Dest is out there and healthy and doing his thing, do you think they're more likely to attack us down the, down our right side? Well, I think they can also attack through Dest if Dest gets caught up too far up because um, it seems like he he has lacked a little bit of discipline in a couple of games where you know he didn't quite come back um, as strong as we would have liked him to you know because because he's skilled and we we do want him to go forward uh, he has scored some some great goal uh, one in particular that I'm thinking of um, so yeah that's going to be a, a challenge for Dest like how how you know, how far, how much time does he spend going forward versus coming backwards to help out on defense? Um, the goalkeeper yeah, situation. Like we're going to need people uh, uh, tracking back, especially against a counterattacking team like Wales. I know that's uh, one of the few things I feel like I know about Gareth Bale, other than just lots of trophies, international superstar and where sure. he played is that he is absolutely lethal on counterattacks and they sure. i'm sure their coaching staff will not you know say oh well you know we want you to stay on the right side of the field and attack over here or attack over there he will be given a ton of freedom to go after whoever he thinks he can sure. go after. and on that point that great point i should say uh, i think uh cameron carter vickers is going to play as a starter with zimmerman versus like a aaron long and zimmerman but that's just me being biased on the, you know, and in terms of getting into Greg's head and trying to predict what he's going to do. Um, everybody thinks, you know, Aaron Long is his uh, go-to defender along with Zimmerman. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that uh, CCV will be uh, there in the center back position. He's a, you know, he's pretty agile, and I think he can handle Gareth Bale. If Gareth Bale decides to attack from the right side versus the left side, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we want our, uh, you know, we don't need anybody sneaking up like they're a wing back, and we don't need uh, we need our midfield, we need whoever's playing our midfielders or our wing positions to really have defense 
on their mind uh, against this team just because, you know, just because of Gareth Bale. Sure. Does uh, Cameron Carter Vickers kind of fit that bill the same way with Zimmerman and Long, where he's going to be a really staunch defender? Or which one of those three is a little bit more offensively minded and we might see get uh, rested for uh, the first game against Wales and maybe, uh, you know, come up when they go, go ahead and play, say, England, for example? Well, you know, we still have Tim Ream, who's had fantastic season as the captain of Fulham. And um, I think maybe maybe he'll get some playing time in the England game. So it's almost like he's the one getting rested. <laughs> OK, that's enough to start you off. The rest of the interview will be at the end of the episode. Now, here's that with the Welsh side of the match review. Take it away, Professor. Professor, oh yeah, because I called you a professor. Yeah, that's rich. All right, fair enough. Well played, person noob. Credit where it's due. All right, yes. Now the Welsh side of things. By the way, you can catch this match 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Fox and Telemundo. This is another one that's going to be in Albate in Alcor. Wales, their national team is ranked number 19 by FIFA. That is the second lowest world ranking of the 13 European teams that are here. Uh, The only one that's below them is Poland, and they're well down in 26th. Their team is known as the Dragons. And the only previous World Cup appearance they made was over 60 years ago, although they did make the quarterfinal way back then. In the 2022 Nations League tournament, not a super high priority tournament. It's uh, been put in place as of a couple of years ago to replace sort of a uh, international friendlies portion of the calendar. And they had in that event, they finished in last place and winless in their group. So they'll get knocked down to a different tier within that tournament. They gave up nearly two goals for match. And that's kind of been a running theme for them is that their defense is not that great. The only two European Championships appearances they made were the last two, 2016 and 2020. They made the semifinals in 2016 and the round of 16 in 2020. They qualified for this event by finishing in second place in their UEFA tournament group, five points behind Belgium and just one point ahead of the Czech Republic. They went 4-3-1 and one with their only loss two undefeated in group play Belgium. In that group, they had the second-best offense and defense and the uh, tied for second-best overall goal differential. That alone did not get them in. Then they had to go to a playoff bracket with three other teams where they beat number 23, Austria, and number 24, Ukraine. On the scoring leaderboard for the event, no surprise, it's international superstar Gareth Bale. He found the back of the net six different times, did the 33-year-old winger. He's made over 100 national team apps for Wales. Uh, Currently, he's with LAFC in Major League Soccer, which, to be honest, even as champions is a little bit below his level. But he's sort of worn out his welcome where he'd been previously. It's got an interesting history. I did not know that he started more on the defensive side of the ball. In fact, even when he made Southampton's team, the Premier League team, he was playing left back of a little bit of an offensive minded one. Uh, Because uh, then in his six years with Tottenham, he made a definitive uh, larger shift to his uh, offensive role. And then he spent eight years with Morale Madrid, where he truly became a winner. He actually nearly went to a Chinese club uh, probably a few months or a year before he ended up at LAFC. 
He's been injured a lot and he didn't play very much at the end of his time there, although a lot of people uh, believe that that was due to a lot more than injuries, that there were some attitude problems, uh, conflicts between him and the coaching staff and maybe even the ownership. He is fast. He is strong. He is incredible in the air. One of the uh, great wingers of his generation. He's also a set piece specialist. So you're seeing him on free kicks. Look out for his knuckleball kick. It is really a beauty to behold. This guy was so talented in his youth, by the way, I find a little story about him, that his uh, physical education teacher had to say that he had to play one touch ball. He was not allowed to dribble and he was not allowed to lose his left foot. So he was that much better than everybody else just to try to even the playing field. Another key player on this team, if you're going to know anybody else, Ethan Ampadu is probably the one you want to have in mind. He plays midfielder for them, and he can also play on the wing, or they could even start him in the backfield, although you should still expect to see him moving up as a wingback, especially when they're on the counterattack. Uh, he's with Spezia, which is one of the not stronger teams, but still a top-flight team in Italy. He's on loan there from Chelsea. He's probably going to be relied mostly on for his defensive abilities. It's going to be Gareth. His job in any counterattack would probably be to get the ball to Gareth Bale and let him do everything. Uh, a side note, in the Nations League, uh, where they didn't do all that well, this team didn't have a single clean sheet. This is a team that does not... Uh, work from possession. They are a counter-attacking uh, counter team, but they are incredibly fast. So when they do uh, steal the ball away and get it in rhythm, they are going to be very tough for the American midfielders uh, to stop. I think it's going to be an interesting game, uh, as you'll hear a little bit more about, I think, later in the interview. The U.S. will probably typically act as a counter-attacking team and try not to have all the possession of the ball. But Wales is kind of the same way. So it's going to be interesting to see who gets the lion's share of the possession and if that leads to more quality shots on goal. Here's how the odds look. Caesar Sportsbook says uh, you could make $60 for betting 100 on the USA to win it in 90 minutes. 195 for Wales. So USA are the favorites, but there's an equal chance uh, that it'll be a draw after 90 minutes compared to a Welsh win, 195. So hardly overwhelming favorites, but favorites for the Americans, just the same. And we wish them well in their first ever tournament appearance in eight years. Match number eight. After all of that, new bites, if I may affectionately refer to you as such, you deserve a break for your Monday and Tuesday from the main match tracking. Wednesday brings us match number eight. Europe, Lithuania's A-Liga is the destination. It's the 38th ranked league in all of Europe. This is the last match or last couple of matches for most of the teams. The season's just about at an end. Congratulations to Zalgiris Vilnius. They won the league by a boatload of points. So the reason we're interested in this is because there are still four teams battling for three Europa Conference League bursts, that tertiary international tournament over there. Musical chairs and one Lithuanian club is going to be left out. Which of these two, if either, will it be? Key matchup between number B, Hegelman, and number five, uh, Riteriai. Hegelman are currently tied with number three, Kauno Jalgiris, and they lead number four, Panavicius, by one, and they lead uh, Retiari by two. If they can get any kind of result, a tie or a win, here in this match, they will get one of the Europa Conference League berths. To have any chance, and it doesn't guarantee them that they'll get there, uh, Riteriai must win on this one. 
But this is the time of match where Noob starts to get a little hungry this time. My daughter did make me a fruit platter. Mm. Thank you very much, Person Noob. Red apples, purple grapes, strawberries, even have some carrots. Mm. Sorry, this probably isn't the best thing, but I really am hungry. That was satisfying. But nevertheless, we're still going to take a break here, not give you any more on this match, and get take our culture break, which is usually a recipe break, since I'm always hungry by match number eight. And we're going to talk about something that is borscht-like, but not quite borscht, from Latvia. It's uh, I'm not going to spell it out. I'll simply give you the pronunciation. I hope I get it right. Shaldi Barche. It's basically cold beetroot beetroot soup. And while it doesn't necessarily sound like the most appetizing thing, cold soup with beets in it necessarily, this is basically a Latvian national dish. And it doesn't turn all red like Russian or traditional uh, borscht. Uh, because of the combination of ingredients, obviously including the beets, this one turns a very vibrant pinkish purple and it'll turn your poop pink more than likely. I hope I can say poop just in case uh, some of uh, Person Noob's friends might tune in occasionally while their parents are tuning in. Anyway, let's take a look at how this is made. What you're going to need uh, for a standard uh, uh, serving for two to four, you're going to want four eggs, a quart of buttermilk, a pound of beets. You're going to peel them. You're going to shred them. You need a large English cucumber. I don't know what the difference is between an English one and a regular one. Maybe it just has the weird accent. I don't know. Peel, quarter, and slice that bad boy quarter cup of minced leaves, a bunch of fresh dill. You'll mince that up. And ideally, by the way, you won't make this in the soup, but serve this on the side with warm potatoes. Now, your directions. This is a pretty short one. I know we had the long interview, so I thought this would be a good one for us to look at. You place the eggs in a saucepan in a single layer, cover them with about an inch of water, and then bring it to a boil. Then turn off the heat, let the eggs stand in the hot water for about 15 minutes before you drain. Cool the eggs under cold running water, peel and chop the eggs. That's part of what gives us a very signature texture is chopping up those eggs, not slicing them or putting them in a hole. Then pour the buttermilk into a large bowl, add the eggs, beets, cucumber, chives and dill, stir it up and then this is key both for your taste to give the flavors time to mix and for the texture you want it to congeal a fair bit chill it in the refrigerator a full day before serving so this does not take long to make but you do need that extra day before you want to serve it even though cold beetroot soup it may not sound like the most appetizing thing in the world unless you're really really into beets i promise you just for the aesthetic and the texture alone you're really going to want to try making this or ordering it out sometime. Match number nine. For another Wednesday match, we're going to stay in Europe, a shift to the women's side of the ball and slide on over to Italy. The UEFA Women's Champions League is grow going on. It's reached its group stage. The teams remaining have all been divided into groups of four. The top two from each will advance to the knockout stage. Uh, they're going to play double round robins in these groups of four, and there are only two matches out of the six in right now. Nevertheless, we're going to take a look at number B in their group, Roma versus number one, VFL Wolfsburg. They are tied at 2-0-0 in the table. Wolfsburg currently have the lead by four on goal differential. 
We'll talk about Roma first as they are hosting this at the Stadio dei Tre Frontani, which has a cap- a capacity rather of about 4,000. Very young team, as are just about all or all of the teams in Italy. It's a very young top flight league. 2018 is when they got started up. This is the fifth ranked league in all of Europe. Uh, they won the Coppa Italia in 2020-2021, the only trophy they've gotten to hoist in their brief history. This year in league play, they are currently in first place by three over second best Fiorentina. 7-0-1 record, 15-3 goal differential. But believe it or not, that nearly two goals per match that they're getting, that only puts them in the top four in offense. There are some juggernauts behind them looking to catch up. They do have the number one defense, though. They've only allowed those three goals in the eight matches. Key player for them on the offensive side, number five score, Valentina Giacinti, center forward. This team qualified for this event, by the way, by finishing in second place in the Women's Serie A last year, which meant this year they had to finish or rather start all the way back to the first round where they had to win a four-team bracket just to get to the second qualifying round where they beat Sparta Brog 2-6 handily on aggregate. Uh, team's current form where their only loss basically has been uh, to Juventus, and that was all the way back in September. And now moving on from Rome, known as the She-Wolf, a nod from their mythological founding for the city to Wolfsburg, where they are known as the She-Wolves. If this is the first time they've ever played, I've got to think, it's the first time we've ever had a bunch of female wolves fighting it out. Pretty fun side note. This club, a little more veteran, founded in 2003, is considered the fourth best ranked club in all of Europe. And from 2013 to 18, it was considered the very best club in all of Europe. Although towards the end of that period, you started to see the rise of uh, Lyon from over in France's top flight. Because they were the champions of this league, which is considered the best, second best in UEFA, they got to enter right here at the group stage. They've won the Champions League title twice before Lyon took over Europe for so many years. Uh, 2013-14 was the last time they won it. Last year, they made it to the semifinals and did well enough at home, but then they got thumped by Barcelona on the road. I mean, real bad in that semifinal. Domestically, they are your defending champions, and they have won the Frauen Bundesliga seven different times. Here in this league season, it's fairly young, but they are 7-0-0 with a 23-5 goal differential. They lead Eintracht Frankfurt by four. Number one league score for them with seven matches already is uh, Eva Pajor. She is a Polish striker, 70 national team caps, 51 goals since 2013 for them. She started all the way back when she was like 16 or 17 years old on her pro career. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! Certainly, person newbie. Yeah, don't forget we have our three super fun bonus matches after this, plus the remainder of my interview with Concagaf. Match number 10, also on Wednesday, comes from the Primera División of Nicaragua, which, according to Kick Algorithms, a site that I like and trust for their methodology, is the 11th ranked national league in all of CONCACAF. Puts them right between uh, the Dominican Republic, which is one of the best Caribbean ones and professional, and Puerto Rico, which, to be honest, I'm surprised to see Puerto Rico quite that high. They're in their Apertura, or opening stage in Nicaragua, and they just have two or three matches left, depending on the club. The top six out of the 10 teams in the league will make the playoffs and the top two will get buys. Your matchup is number one, Dirion Hen versus number B, Real Esteli. It is El Clasico down there. 
They are tied on points. They have identical records. They are tied on goal differential. I believe that Deary on hand are listed as uh, the number one team just for having more goals scored. But obviously the result of this match, <laughs> unless they get a draw perhaps, is uh, pretty much going to define who wins the title here. Well, Actually, maybe I shouldn't say that because guess what? Uh, even though these two teams have a match in hand on them, they are tied for the moment with a club called Walter Ferretti on points. When these two played early in the season, Real Esteli won 1-0. But Dirion Hen is at their place this time, and they are known as the Chiefs or the Bosses. Caciques is the Spanish word. One of the oldest clubs in all of Central America, not just this country. They were founded back in 1917 and play out of the city of Diriamba. That's in the southwest part of the country, about 20 miles drive south of Managua, 70,000 strong. Uh, if this place is known for anything, it is for all the native folklore festivities that go on there. It's the unofficial capital for all the natives, uh, people, storytelling, and festivals. Coffee, tourism, or you can combine them both and uh, take a lot of tours at a lot of different coffee plantations. Those are the two big economic drivers down here. They're going to host this at the Estadio Cacique Dirion Hen, 7,500 people. It's also where the national team plays. So only uh, only holding 7,500, you can see how this is not one of the biggest countries when it comes to football down there, just probably due to being a slightly smaller country than some of the other ones. In fact, amongst the Central American countries, I believe this is the lowest ranked league probably, except for little tiny Belize, of course. But they're in their little country. They are a power. 30 league titles to their credit. 2021-22 Clausura stage, the last completed stage, they won it by five points over Real Esteli, and then they beat Walter Ferretti for the playoff title on penalty kicks. So they got their double. Uh, defense is good, but the uh, offense is number one. They're getting almost two points per match in a league that, to be honest, isn't that high scoring of a league otherwise. Uh, that ties them for having the second best overall goal differential. Key player for them, tied for number five in league scoring with six on the stage, is Junior Arteaga, midfielders, 22 years old. Wonder if he might get to move up to one of the bigger uh, Central American leagues or maybe even Liga MX if he wants to before uh, before very long. They have won four straight for their current form, but they haven't kept a single clean sheet. They have the advantage of being at home, but boy, that defense has been looking a little suspect. Coming to take advantage potentially is Real Esteli. Uh, Esteli is the third biggest uh, city in the country, 120,000 people, sort of the uh, de facto northern capital. It's in the northwest part, and it's in the highlands, which means it's really good for tobacco growing. In fact, this area was specifically a refuge for Cuban cigars who had cigar makers, rather, who had to uh, largely flee the country back in the 1960s. The club is nicknamed as the Train of the North. Can't believe we made it through with no lions the whole episode. I'm so excited. Train of the North is great. Six CONCACAF Champions League appearances, 2021. They made the round of 16. That's the best they've ever done. Uh, they've made five CONCACAF League appearances. That's the feeder tournament for the CCL. 2020, they made the quarterfinals, and that's the best they've done for that one. Domestically, they've won 18 league titles, which is actually second best in the country behind Dirion Hen, of course, who were ahead of them by quite a bit. Their last title that they won was the Clausura stage of 2020. The Clausura stage last year, they finished in second place in the regular season, lost in the semifinals. 
They've got the second best offense in the league and the number one defense, only giving up two thirds of a goal per match. Defense is going to travel. I like Esteli for this one. The offense they're going to get, well, they've got some team scoring leaders with four each in Douglas Calle. He's from Brazil, veteran, 35 years old. And then on the other end of the age spectrum, 20-year-old midfielder named Harold Medina. Team's current form, 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three. And despite that outstanding defense I mentioned, no clean sheets. Maybe they're wearing out on that side a little bit. Who knows? Maybe we'll even see a bit of a shootout. Bring forth the bonus matches. This is one of my favorite sections of the show, in large part because you, the listener, have had a chance to have a say in what the content's going to be. What do I mean? Well, you can find me on Twitter where I put up polls with the candidate matches for these very unique bonus matches at the beginning of every single week. You decide glorious content gets made. It is dreamy. The first match that you have made your selection for is a first versus last place match from somewhere in the world we dramatically call the... Route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. And for the first time this show, we're headed to Africa proper for... The Ghanaian Premier League. Yeah, Ghana on Saturday. This is the 28th ranked league in all of Africa. Now, a little bit about what's interesting about that. Unlike most confederations or maybe all of the other ones in Africa, they don't bother to rank all of the leagues because not enough of their teams bother to travel enough for international play. So this is actually one of the lowest ranked teams of the ones they bother doing that for. Now that is not to say that there are a bunch of other leagues in Africa that are probably stronger than Ghana's that aren't ranked. Probably not the case. So this all said, they're right about in the middle or just below. Because they're not in the top 12, they're a long way from that. They only get one Champions League berth. On the other end of the spectrum, three teams will get relegated or kicked out at the end of the year and move down to division. It's pretty early on in their season, but that will not stop us from taking a look at number 18 in last place, uh, Tamale City. Looks like Tamale City, which is a store or restaurant I want to go to, uh, versus number three, Asante Kotoko. Now, uh, Tamale City, they trailed number 15, Dreams FC, by four points. Up on the top end of things, Asante Kotoko was number one when I actually scouted this. I know technically now it's not a first versus last, but they were there. It's still close. They trailed number one, Ajuana Stars, by just two points. Tamale City. You won't be surprised to find out that that is the name of the city they play out of, Tamale. It is the capital of the northern region, uh, and it's really more in the northeast central part of the country. It has about a million people or so, and it is, I believe, still considered the fastest growing city in all of West Africa. It's always been a city that's been on, on the rise, so to speak, because uh, it's the at the intersection of three old ancient trade route. So it's always been a meeting point for uh, tribes and peoples that are looking to move goods. They're going to host this at the Aliyu Mahama Sports Stadium, which has a capacity of 21,000. I'd be curious to find out how many of those seats they actually get to fill. And it's a fairly modern stadium for this part of the country. I can't tell you too much about this team, but I know they weren't in Division I last year. I'm presuming that they got promoted. This is the only winless team in the league this year. They've got the worst offense going. They've scored just three goals in their seven matches. Uh, defense is a little bit better. They're giving up a goal per match. 
Uh, team scoring leader, he's the only guy I believe with multiple goals on the season, is Isaac Mensa, and he plays defender. I'm not sure that's always a great sign when your offense is being outscored by your own defense. Team's current form, well, they just lost 0-1 at number 5, and so a Tremont, and that snapped a streak of two straight draws. So we're always looking for a little glimmer of hope, and they haven't played too badly over their last three. But will they be able to hold up against the mighty porcupine warriors of Asante Kotoko? And no, I'm not making that one up. That is the official uh, <clears throat> emblem, if you will. I was going to say mascot, but that's probably a little bit demeaning. But this is the official emblem of the Asante people. And the porcupine they have on their flag is a fierce-looking one. And, by the way, this is a team that has an affiliation with Sunderland. I believe that they, when they first set it up, that a Sunderland might have still been in the Premier League. They're not now. But these two teams still work together, which I think is pretty cool. This is the sixth most popular team in all of Africa. They play out of the city of uh, Kumasi, which is the second biggest one in the country, about three and a half million people in the southwest central portion. Very modern city, and it's known as the Garden City because they have a lot of trees and a lot of gardens, especially as you would guess in the more affluent areas, but a lot of them are public as well. And another cool thing about it, talk about modern, wish the U.S. could get more on board with this. Uh, most of the energy for the city's power grid all comes from solar panels. I think that's awesome. The club is owned by the local king, and they earn their money to pay the players and the administrators and such from their gold mining. That's what this area is known for. That on top of that most of the world's cocoa is grown right here, if not in the city, at least the Ashanti region in general. Footy-wise, they have won 24 league titles and are your defending champions. Uh, they actually won the Champions League a couple of times, but you've got to go back to the 70s and 80s to find those two events. They lost in this year's iteration to a team from Burkina Faso on penalty kicks in the first round. So you can see they've lost a little bit of their luster. This year in league play, tied for number one on offense, they've managed 10 goals in their seven, uh, in their seven matches. So not the highest scoring league in Africa by any event uh, in in any case uh, to that end I was looking at their defensive stat and I had forgotten about this it's really quite surprising I've never seen a team that's all the way down in sixth place in defense in the league and yet they allow fewer than a goal per match on average they've got tied for the number one overall goal differential team's current form well they just had a 1-1 draw at home versus number seven legions to snap a two-match win streak so it's hard to say that they're suddenly slipping because of that loss legion cities isn't too bad but like i said we're looking for any little uh kink in the armor that we can find in the hopes that maybe we will get a route of the week upset could you be the most meaningless match in the world Yes, you could. You're so boring. <laughs> the weekly most meaningless match pits two teams together that are more or less right in the middle of their league table, equidistant from the top where they might get to earn an international berth or the shame of finishing at the bottom, last place, and from which they might get relegated. And the match you have voted for is a Thursday match from India's Super League. It's a very young league founded in 2014. It's considered to be number 14 ranked amongst all the Asian leagues. That's up two from a year ago. And I think they're going to rise even higher sooner rather than later, in large part because the Football Association in India has finally gotten something sort of a 
sorted out. Uh, this is one of the few leagues in the country that was considered up until this year to have two co-number one top leagues. The I-League, which is one that is more of a grassroots-founded league with more traditional Western European-style clubs, and then this one, the India Super League, which is more of a franchise-based club like you would find in Australia or more familiarly in Major League Soccer here at home. And a little bit to my surprise, it is the India Super League that has been selected to now be the number one league. They will do promotion relegation with the now second-best league, the I-League, although I think essentially basically the two leagues will probably merge, to be perfectly honest. The regular season champion from this one will go to the AFC Champions League, and then their playoff winner at the end of the year will go to the secondary tournament, the AFC Cup. I actually think the league will send two teams, to be perfectly honest. But we have a little bit of a wrinkle with this week's most meaningless match. I determine that based on who gets to go to international play or finishes and last from the regular season. But remember, we do have that AFC Cup berth on the line for whatever team finishes or wins, rather, the playoffs. The top six teams in this league get to go to the playoffs. And this match that we're going to look at pits number six, Odisha FC, against number seven, Chennaiin. So meaningless in terms of the regular season title, and yet very meaningful when it's going to come to who gets to make the playoffs. By the way, it's very early in this season, and I don't believe any teams are going to get relegated. Now, as far as the regular season table here, Odisha lead Chennaiin by two in the table, and they trail number one Hyperabad by seven. Chennaiin, in turn, they lead last place, number 11 Northeast United by seven. The series between these two, Odisha have had the advantage. They've uh, built up a 6-7-3 and three record in a few seasons. Odisha are known as the Juggernauts. I love that. Also known as the Kalinga Warriors, Kalinga being a historical region where they're located. They were actually founded in 2014, the same as this league, but back then they were in and known as the Delhi Dinamos. In 2019, when they moved, they changed names to Odisha FC. They play in the Kalinga Stadium, which has a capacity of 15,000. The city they're playing in is called Bhubaneswar, which is a, by the way, Odisha is an east-northeast state. So that's where Bhubaneswar is. And it's a, sort of a twin city with the slightly older Kuttak. Together, they're basically one major metro area. Uh, 1.7 million people there. Uh, it's a very big hotspot for tourism in large part because of the temples. At one point, I don't think there's this many now, but because of the uh, confluence of several different religions that I'm sure includes, of course, uh, Hindu and uh, Jainism, there were as many as 700 or even 1,000, depending on the source, temples in this area, and there are still a ton. It's also an educational hotbed for the entire country, and a lot of IT jobs are here. We do have some European connection here. Uh, the team is led and managed by a former commercial head of Rangers from over in Scotland and Watford and Coventry City from over in England. And their affiliation with Watford is actually a very specific one. They share a lot of coaches and player training resources like that. And then their head of global operations is David Villa, the uh, Spanish form international player superstar. Last year, this team finished in seventh place. This year, they're not getting a whole lot on offense. They're below average in that regard, but their defense is top three. They're only giving up only a little more than a goal per match. But that said, their goal differential is a very perfectly meaningless uh, nil. 
on the scoring leaderboard for them, I think he's the only guy with uh, multiple goals on the air is Diego Mauricio, their Brazilian striker. Give you a little bit of perspective. So he's one of the stars, I think, for their team. And yet his only European experience, he played for Vitoria FC, which is a Portuguese Division Three team in the middle of his career. He actually led this team in scoring two years ago with 12. Not sure how he did last year. Team's current form, well, they just lost nil one at Hyperabad. That's not too bad. And that snapped a two-match win streak. And now Chennaiin playing out of the city of Chennai, which is in the Tamil Nadu state. It's in the southeast part of the country. Metro's got almost 12.5 million people. Uh, it's a big IT exporter, so I think they're making a lot of goods that go to Odisha, quite frankly. But it's really known for the car manufacturing. It's known as the Detroit of India. And this is a very uh, Tamil culturally based thing. They are known as the Marina. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Makans or Machans, M A C. H-A-N-S. In any event, on their crest related to that is something called the Dishriti Bomai, which is a figure that is uh, represented to chase away evil spirits. So on their crest is this really cool kind of Hakka-like looking mask, if you will. This is a club that's ranked well inside the two top 250 in Asia. So good, if hardly all-time great, but they've won the domestic league title twice, Last time was 2017-2018. The following year, they made their only AFC Cup appearance ever, and they finished in the group stage. Last year in league, they finished in eighth place. They've got about the same offense as Odisha does, but their defense isn't nearly as good. They're giving up two goals per match. That puts them in the bottom three in the league. I think uh, Chennai is very much your underdog here. The best player they've probably got going is their striker, a Croatian guy named Peter Sliskovic. Just one goal and one assist on the year, but he is more like, uh, to create an analogy for basketball, he's more like a center who plays with his back to the basket. He may be able to score, but his job is at least as much to distribute to guys flashing in from the wings. He is a very accurate passer and a volume passer for the position. He's got a little bit of experience as well in Europe. He played twice for Mainz 05 out of the German Bundesliga and sometimes uh, second division. Team's current form 0-2-1 in their last three, and they just suffered a pretty bad defeat 2-6 at second place Mumbai City. Hey, person noob, guess what number match we're on this time? What number? The end of the show is match number 13. Dun-dun-dun. So appropriate for the match of... Disappointed! Which pits two clunkers of teams, two last-place stinkers that people have taken the trouble to vote for for some reason. How do we greet the teams that are in the match of Disappointed? Boo! You're terrible! We're going to tell your parents about you. They're going to be ashamed to make you live above the garage. Double-check your report cards to make sure they haven't forged them or... I don't really know where that's going, do I? But the match that the people have voted for is a Saturday match from the women's side of the ball, the Kavinda League from Denmark. That women's league is the number eighth ranked one in Europe. Uh, two teams are going to get relegated. Pretty good chance it's going to be these two losers. There are three matches left in the season. Is that time enough for either number seven, AGF, or number eight, Sundby? AGF currently lead Sundby by one. They also trailed number six, uh, Nordyland, by three. So they could still save themselves, but time is running out, person noob. You want to boo them again just for fun? 
Thank you. That was great. <laughs> AGF, incredibly young club. They were only founded in 2020, but do we accept excuses when it comes to teams in the match who disappointed? No. Nope. No, they are still very disappointing no matter what. They play out of the city of Aarhus, A-A-R-H-U-S. So they got one too many vowels at the front there, and yet their league is the Kavinda League, K-V-I-N. Maybe they could borrow an A from the city name and put it up in the, the league name, kind of balance things out. What do you think, p Kevin, it should be Kevin, whatever. Yeah, they should call it the Kevin League, even though it's a girls' league. Yeah. And you should say, so what league do you play in? Oh, I play in Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> I don't know why that's going to be funny for us. It might be a thing for a bit around the house. Aarhus is the second biggest city in the country, about 300,000 people. It's on the main part of the country, as opposed to out in the islands called Jutland, on the East Coast. The nation's biggest university is there. Uh, it's a big manufacturing area. A giant container port is there. They're really known for their health care services. It's easily the best in the country. They're going to play this at Vailby Stadion, which has a capacity of 5,000. It's home to a men's Division Three team. Give you a little idea of the popularity of the men's versus the women's games there. Last year, this team finished in seventh place in the regular season, and then they move on to the second part of their season, which in Denmark is kind of unique. Um, the two teams drop down and they have to play four teams in a little mini season that are from the second division. So they managed to survive that somehow last year, finished in first. This year in league play, uh, they're very poorly balanced, evenly bad on offense and defense. They've got the number five offense, a little below average, but the defense is where they struggle a little more. They give up two goals per game typically. On offense, they do have one uh, star, for lack of a better word, tied for second best in league scoring with six, is Caroline Aronson Jensen. Now, that's great that she's the second best scorer, but what should she be doing uh, to not be so disappointed in person, noob? I don't know. She should be on a different team that doesn't stink so bad. Yeah. Yeah, make better decisions, Caroline. I'm sure she's listening. As far as the team's current form, they are one zero and three in their last in their last four. Sunby, the visitors, they play out of the city of Sundbyoster, which is actually more of an administrative district, really within Copenhagen. About fifty thousand people there. We don't make any excuses for them either. Last year, they finished in second place in the second division, got themselves promoted. They couldn't even win that league. What on earth made them think that they were going to be able to compete in this league? Can oh. you think of anything, person noob? No. No. I don't have anything else on that. How about you? Nope. All right. Well, we'll move on to some of the stats. They've got the worst offense by far. The second worst offense in this league, person who they've scored 18 goals. Take a guess at how many uh, Sundby has scored. 22. Six. Oh. Yeah. Woof. P.U. Boo him again. Give him the Boo. business. Yeah. Boo. I was going to make another comment about their parents, but I kind of ran out of good ones that were appropriate for the show. Uh, no one on this team has scored multiple goals, so I don't even have any players to make fun of. As far as the team's current form, well, except to make fun of all of them. As far as the team's current form, since beating AGF for what I think might have been their only win, they have, of course, lost six straight. And now, as is typical, we will not wish these teams good luck. They are putrid and they don't deserve it. But rather, we will shoo them away in our usual heckling fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Take them away. Hey, boo. Boo.
And believe it or not, yes, that is exactly how we end each and every week. This has been episode 110 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. I would like to thank Concagaf from Twitter. You can follow him, C-O-N-C-A-G-A-F-F-E. Uh, I don't believe he has a uh, soccer blog currently or a website that he was pushing, but if you'd like to follow him on Twitter, he certainly knows a little bit more about uh, soccer than we do. And if he's not really looking for followers, well, he'll just block or mute you, I am sure. He seems like an, an intelligent guy who knows how to use his Twitter box. Okay, that got weird. I'd also like to thank he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry to Dan the Interno Inferno for all of his creative efforts and inspiration to my daughter dearest person new for putting up with me and helping me out with the show that we've now been running for uh, nigh on to a year and a half. Hard to believe. And one final note before you do our final thank, uh, we had CONCACAF on this week. We've got another Guest host, believe it or not, lined up for this week. Yeah, we've actually got a second person who wants to or is willing to be on the show. We didn't even have to troll that hard on the internet for it. Nevertheless, if you would like to be a guest host on the show here during the World Cup and talk about the USMNT or anything else you'd like, really, for that matter, the show isn't that organized, uh, you can find me on Twitter as Soccer Noob USA. And so finally, our thanks to you, of course, for listening to the show. We've we've endeavored to make something truly unique here, if not always completely polished. But hey, we're covering a lot of different matches from all over the world that not everybody does. And how many other shows are you hearing that have the father-daughter dynamic going on? We have a lot of fun with it. We hope you'll pass us on to your footy-minded friends who you think might enjoy it as well. Until we can do it again in a few days, enjoy the start of the World Cup. We know you'll have yourselves a fabulous footy week. Please take care. What an unbelievable week, an unbelievable day here at Soccer New Brock in America because somehow, some way, I feel like we have conned somebody into thinking that we have a legitimate show uh, with real football information and somebody has agreed to actually be on the show. We would like to welcome our guest, who is known on Twitter as Concagaf, G-A-F-F-E on the end. Hello, uh, Concagaf or Gaff, as I think we agreed we might go with. Uh, well, hello. It's, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, I just want to say real quick that uh, I'm a noob as well at this you know, online speaking and uh, pre- presentation. So thanks for letting me jump in and looking forward to having some fun. Oh, I think this is going to be absolutely great. Uh, you mentioned before we started the recording that you've often thought about, you know, trying to jump on, you know, uh, be a caller or whatever, or join maybe even as a guest on on other shows, slightly more established and longstanding shows, particularly U.S. soccer. And I think this will be a, a great jumping off point for you to sort of uh, cut your teeth on talking about the things you want to say about both yourself and specifically heading into the World Cup if you decide to uh, jump onto some other shows as the weeks go on and that event continues. Well, that sounds a little intimidating <laughs> being on the on the uh, podcast circuit, but uh, you know, I'm just I was originally attracted to your show because you talk about about a lot of teams, you know, out out there in the different countries of the world and different, you know, obscure areas. And I love geography and I've traveled a lot. So that's, that's where the, uh, uh, that's how I became a fan, I guess you would say of uh, the noob show. 
Well, we are certainly flattered because, you know, just the idea that anybody would, you know, you know, you know, me and my kid talking about geography and trying to cover somehow, some way, every single league in the world, even as we don't really know anything hardcore about the, you know, the play on the field. Uh, that's really exciting for us. We're happy to share you know, the things that, you know, we're able to learn about quickly and that we're interested in. But uh, I know that for you personally, being something uh, of a uh, of a geography nerd, if that's the right term, comes from uh, your background and not necessarily uh, growing up or growing up entirely here stateside. Could you uh, give us a little bit of an intro on that? Sure. Well, my father had been in the uh, U.S. Army um and was stationed over there. So he was familiar a little bit with Korea. He came back to the States, got married, and then they um, ended up with a job opportunity over there. So they moved and I went over there pretty young, uh, grew up uh, and kind of got introduced to the, to the game because, you know, a lot of people played in the streets. You know, there's a lot of concrete in Seoul, Korea, and like kids would play on those streets and, you know, bang the soccer ball off the, off the walls uh so that's kind of where i picked it up kind of a kind of a mix of volleyball and uh futsal maybe almost it sounds like in some sure case. sure uh they did you know there were schools and whatnot that had um uh i guess you would say yards in the in uh courtyards or whatever where you know kids could play different sports um but those didn't have grass it was just way too much foot traffic so a lot of those fields were gravel um and that's kind of also it sounds uh, like uh the equivalent of of playing on a skinned field for a baseball or softball you can do it but it's not always the safest thing in the world slide tackling is uh, a little bit uh, bad for your health (laughs) so how were you as an how were you as an athlete when it comes to soccer i started late in terms of playing organized uh so i had so like when i was um maybe 10th grade and I was going to an international school over there. And uh, we eventually got, uh, our school was just a building and we didn't have uh, athletic facilities. So we, we did end up, end up getting permission from the U S army base there to come onto the base and uh, we could practice there on their soccer field, which was grass, which was great. The only problem, it was uh, right next to uh, the helipad. <laughs> so every <laughs> once in a while, you know, the, uh, maybe like a colonel or, or like a U.S. Army a med- medevac might come in and we'd have to stop. <laughs> the mil- the them. military brat version or quasi-military uh, brat version of uh, Wayne's World where you got to move the stuff out of the streets. Game off. Right. Game on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, being around the military a lot, that was, that was interesting, but that's pretty much where I, um, mm-hmm. I, I had to spend a lot of time in the summers practicing, then, practicing. Sure. Um, and, and then, then you, you definitely know, stayed a fan of the game here into, into your, uh, and your adult years. Sure. Um, you know, I always keep an eye on the U S men's national team. Just, you know, my, my younger, uh, self grew up seeing the international game as a conglomeration of like cultures coming together in different playing styles, so to speak. Uh, so that was always the attraction for me. It was like, I knew if I was about to watch Italy, then that I was going to see some, you know, uh, some great defending, or if I, I knew if I was going to watch Brazil, that I would see 
you know, spectacular uh, individual skill and ball movement. Um, so that's kind of where I hope the game continues to go. Uh, we'll see what happens. I know well, that's the great thing with the being worldwide game. You're always going to get such a, you know, such a smorgasbord. You can always find leagues with teams that are very, very technical, like, you know, Serie A. You can find teams that are a little bit more uh, guttier, grittier, I think would be a diplomatic way to put it when you're talking about major league soccer. And then I don't know as much about the style on the Korean peninsula, even though I do follow the, uh, the South Korean, the K league one over there, but okay. yeah, there will always be, always be a smorgasbord of things uh, from which to choose. And they all come together in the world cup, which is one of the two big reasons other than getting to know you a little bit better than on Twitter, uh, you know, that uh, we were wanting to have you on because as, as noobs, my daughter and I, you know, we are still very much learning a lot about the game of soccer. And uh, some of our audience is very, very veteran. They like to uh, follow us for kind of a change of pace, the leagues we cover, but some of our audience, uh, they are pretty new to the game in general as well. So uh, what do you think we can expect from the UN's men's uh, national team, just broadly speaking? Well, the biggest question that I have, I guess, um, is just the the tactics of the manager. I mean, uh, a lot of people have, have wondered you know, if if he tends to make decisions too late in the game, you know, like, for example, does he sub too late or does he make the wrong substitutions or, you know, even like with a starting roster, like maybe uh, everyone thinks a lot of people would think, you know, he's going to play the best, the so-called best players on the roster. But then when the roster comes out, there might be so, one so if they should happen to fall behind early it sounds like there's a question of will the necessary adjustments be uh, made in time or come a little bit too late i know that uh, greg likes to use late subs it seems like right and, and this especially like we have seen points in the last you know year where we've as the communities kind of feels like you know you know greg has learned some you know hard lessons and is starting to to show some improvement <laughs> in those regards. Um, but the, this is a little bit different this time against Wales because, you know, there's three tough games relatively close to each other. And so the question, I guess, would be, you know, is he just going to come out strong with all of his the so-called top talent that we have? Uh, or is he going to try to play this game where maybe he puts a veteran in a particular spot um, that we wouldn't expect, um, you know, maybe we thought that person would have been, uh, like a backup player for that position, but then they get thrown in. So for example, I'm thinking of the right back position. A lot of people just expect Serginho Dest, who's, who's a great player, very skilled, played with, uh, Messi back in the day at Barcelona. We expect him to be at the right back, but I'm thinking he's going to put, uh, DeAndre uh, Yedlin in there, who's a veteran, um, not as fast as he used to be, but I think he's going to put them put a guy like that in sure. as a kind of like a statement move yeah. uh, that he's relying on, like a kind of a balance yeah. team. And he doesn't have a lot of veteran presence to uh, rely on for this. The U.S. It's the youngest or one of the youngest teams' average age in the tournament. Is that right? That's right. And DeAndre Yedlin is the only one with uh, World Cup experience. 
that's another reason I think he'll put him in there on that first game. Um, but that position is going to be one to watch, you know, that right back position because the Wales has got Gareth Bale, who's can be a pretty explosive player. And I think Greg yeah, he's, want... he's scored a few big ones, won a couple of trophies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Greg will try to, you know, have DeAndre Yedlin kind of like mark him real close, as close as possible. And that's going to take a lot of energy. So maybe he's going to save um, Serginho Dest for the next game. So that would be one position that's going to be really interesting, in my opinion. And then also on that right side, you, he's probably going to put Tim Remit up there to try to stretch that back line of the the Welsh team so you know Pulisic of course is important but I don't really see much strategy from Greg regarding Pulisic that's that's kind of where it's going to go I think it's going to be really interesting yeah so uh Pulisic or Pulisic depending on how different people in different parts of the world are pronouncing it I like the traditional one that you're using that's a name that even the rawest of noobs, I would think, anybody who's got interest in finding soccer for the World Cup is already going to be familiar with his name. Uh, I've already talked a little bit about Dest and Yedlin and who might get started. Um, who are some, I know who all the players on the team are, but who do you think is going to be uh, a key and or surprising to the USMNT's hopeful success? Well, it's definitely... Uh tricky just because i'm not sure you know how greg is going to handle these three games you know like you've there's this sense of like maybe he's going to have to rest a few people here and there somehow um but another oh definitely Yunus musa is going to be a big big time um key player uh together with you know as he plays there in the in the back midfield with Adams um the question the the big question I have too is like what's going to happen on the left side everybody knows um Jedi um Anthony Robinson or a Rob as people call him uh the question I think he's he's definitely key uh for that left side um the the question for me is like what happens if he gets injured or needs you know a rest. Uh, maybe, maybe these players, uh, unless they're in coming off that injury, like I think Dest was slightly had some muscle fatigue or something. Uh, so if it's not a player like that, you know, how far can they go? Um, but this is, this is a long tournament, you know, and, uh, and another a compressed question. tournament, just as importantly, they have their second game, I believe just four or five days after the first one. Uh, okay. I guess a benefit would be that in Qatar, Qatar, everyone is pretty close. There's no long distance traveling. Um, yeah, I know where the U S where the U S is playing, I think is in one of the more outlying ones that even at the, the, uh, all bait, if I'm saying you're right, or I'll bite B a Y T stadium, um, that holds 60, 60,000, I think a pretty big one. Um, that was only, I think, starting got built in 2008 is just huge. And it's even it's only like 20 miles outside of uh, of Doha, which is where everything, of course, will be centered there in the capital. So even if the games are somewhat compressed, at least they're not having to move around and travel. I think that's the sure. next point. 
So and, do you think that teams are, uh, do you think that other teams are likely to, um, if, if Dest is out there and healthy and doing his thing, do you think they're more likely to attack us down the, down our right side? Well, I think they can also attack through Dest if Dest gets caught up too far up because um, it seems like he, he has lacked a little bit of discipline in a couple of games where, you know, he didn't quite come back um, as strong as we would have liked him to, you know, because, because he's skilled and we, we do want him to go forward. Uh, he has scored some, some great goal. Uh, one in particular that I'm thinking of. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a, a challenge for Des. Like how, how, you know, how far, how much time does he spend going forward versus coming backwards to help out on defense? Um, the goalkeeper yeah, situation. Like we're going to need, we're going to need people, uh, uh, tracking back, especially against a counter attacking team like Wales. I know that's uh, one of the few things I feel like I know about Gareth Bale, other than just lots of trophies, international superstar where sure. he played is that he is absolutely lethal on counter attacks and they, sure. I'm sure their coaching staff will not, you know, say, oh, well, you know, we want you to stay on the right side of the field and attack over here, or attack over there. He will be given a ton of freedom to go after whoever he thinks he can sure. go after. And on that point, that great point, I should say, uh, I think uh, Cameron Carter Vickers is going to play as a starter with Zimmerman versus like a Aaron Long and Zimmerman. But that's just me being biased on the you know and in terms of getting into greg's head and trying to predict what he's going to do um everybody thinks you know aaron long is his uh go-to defender along with zimmerman but i'm 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 gonna i'm gonna guess that uh, ccv will be uh there in the center back position he's a you know he's pretty agile and i think he can handle gareth bale if Gareth Bale decides to attack from the right side versus the left side. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like we want our, uh, you know, we don't need anybody sneaking up like they're a wing back and we don't need uh, we need our midfield. We need whoever's playing our midfielders or our wing positions to really have defense on their mind uh, against this team, just because, you know, just because of Gareth Bale. Sure. Does uh, Cameron Carter Vickers kind of fit that bill the same way with Zimmerman and Long, where he's going to be a really staunch defender or which one of those three is a little bit more offensively minded and we might see get uh, rested for uh, the first game against Wales and maybe, uh, you know, come up when they go, go ahead and play say England, for example. Well, you know, we still have Tim Ream, who's had fantastic season as the captain of Fulham, and um, I think maybe maybe he'll get some playing time in the England game. So it's almost like he's the one getting rested. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by the way, for our newer listeners, um, because you've brought his name up, um, you wouldn't mind just uh, taking a little bit of a rabbit trail with me, even even me only having sure. followed the game to any capacity on the world stage a few years. You know, I'm old enough to remember as, as I suspect you are, but don't know that you, you know, still remember watching, you know, Tim Howard and, you know, Landon sure, Donovan sure. and some of these guys, you know, on the international stage. But, you know, how amazing is it that we're in this age where the Premier League, the arguably, but I don't think too arguably best league in the world, not only are some of these 
teams peppered with American players who are therefore getting to play against the top players in the world, which is great for our national team, generally speaking, but sure. that we have a captain. I mean, I know Fulham's not one of the big six, but uh, do you want to uh, take a moment and just sort of address however you feel like, you know, how great it is that the Premier League actually has a captain and all these players in general over there? That's definitely pretty big. I mean, I was, it, it was a little bit of a shock too, just because, you know, Tim Ream is, he's a veteran. He's a little bit older now, but despite that, you know, he's has been showing some uh, great success there. And like, I definitely, you know, when it was hard for me to watch premier league when I was, uh, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, you know, we had to try to come up with a way to record, you know, like an ESPN 30 minute highlight show. And that's all we had. We couldn't right. really uh, watch, you know, in depth uh, on demand. So yeah, it's definitely exciting. And I think that's great for the next generation of us um, uh, players and kids in general to look up to a guy like that. And even Cameron Carter Vickers is the captain for his team in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Is um, he with Celtic or Rangers? I can't remember suddenly. Uh, Celtic. Celtic. Thank you. Okay. I'm a bit more of a Rangers guy, but apparently not enough that I didn't know that particular one. (laughs) I'm still noob, Gaff. I'm glad you're here to help me out. (laughs) I make mistakes. So, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable. Uh, I've just got stuff. I don't know. Trying to take in the whole, whole world at once makes it tough. So I'm curious for your thoughts on this and this will largely, you know, you know, drain, you know, okay, Gareth Bale counterattacks, you know, okay, that's something I know going into the game. What else do I know about the game? Well, I know that, you know, part of what goes hand in hand with that is this is not a team that will work typically really, really hard to maintain possession of the ball. They are comfortable, you know, you know, setting back somewhat on defense, waiting for the counterattack and letting Gareth Bale one riled. Okay. The U.S., even going back to their successes in the Gold Cup and the uh, Nations League, which we talked a, a little bit about earlier in the day before we were recording, um, we're not talking about a team that, yes, they've been beating Mexico, but they didn't exactly dominate in general or in possession any of the really good teams uh, that they were playing as they were trying to qualify for the sure. World Cup, did they? No, they did not. Um, there was, you know, we, during our campaign and also the gold cup, you know, we, well, especially in the gold cup, you know, we only won a lot of games by one goal, uh, just like only scoring one goal. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be interesting against Wales because they're known for dropping back and our, our true, our true nine situation is a little bit sketchy i'm sorry our our number nine position we don't actually like to play with a true nine it seems uh with ferrer ferrera he's pretty mobile but he's a smaller player so i don't think he's going to be able to hold the ball up but it seems like his job is just going going to be along with aronson you know highly mobile and try to get utilize that mobility to get the ball dished off to Pulisic, who hopefully is coming into the box to score. <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels like what you're describing is something that I've been kind of anticipating was that is that when the U.S. is on the attack, because I'm more familiar with some other sports like, say, basketball, for example, where instead of having a 
you know, 270 pound, you know, six foot 11, you know, you know, college senior in the middle of the paint who can play with his back to the basket that, you know, we're going with a more uh, quote unquote guard or a wing and attacking midfielder oriented lineup guys who are going to be creative on the edge of and just outside of the box. And that uh, when they can catch uh, the defense a little bit off guard, you will catch guys flashing through the middle to use that basketball phrase. Maybe it's apropos in soccer. I'm not sure. And trying to score some that way. So I'll just ask uh, in the uh, spirit of the old Letterman show, uh, is this anything? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's definitely a throwback to the, uh, to the old times. Just, you know, it's funny when I was a kid, I'd try to watch the Johnny Carson show and I knew everybody was laughing, but I couldn't really laugh because I didn't understand the jokes because I wasn't old enough, I guess. Sure. It's like trying to watch Monty Python. Well, now. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's going to be some questions about how the, how the, how the team attacks you know for example like it's been a while since i've seen pulisic shoot from you know beyond the 20 yard line uh beyond the 18 box you know like he seems like a guy that scores a lot of goals relatively close to the um, to the keeper um so yeah what's what's going to happen is are we going to effectively be able to like stretch out the Wales team to be able to get the ball to Pulisic and um, yeah, Aronson will have an interesting role. I'm I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it, it would definitely be fun to watch. Yeah. I think if we're not able to draw them out defensively, that the U S will just kind of by default, that'll mean that, you know, Wales is sitting back. So the U S should have the uh, majority of not necessarily the lion's share, maybe they will of the possession and maybe they will get to do a lot of, uh, you know, maybe it'll have to be some of the other than Pulisic. Maybe it'll have to be, you know, people more scoring, you know, from, you know, the edge of the box or just outside of the box. Maybe that's where the attack comes from. Whereas if Wales feels like they can do more than just wait on the counter, then by definition, it would seem like they'll be stretching themselves out and that that will uh, lead itself when the U.S. gets possession back to being able to get Pulisic the ball in, you know, sort of more in a more in a way in a flow of offense that he's used to getting it. Okay. Um, yeah, on that point, um, I don't actually have McKinney in the starting lineup, hmm. which which is probably pretty controversial. But uh, I think Greg is going to just uh, have you know Aronson uh, in there. And maybe bring in McKinney later if if it's getting to crunch time and we need a goal. But uh, because you know uh, McKinney's pretty good with his head, so if he's on the field and Tim Tim Weah is crossing in the ball or um, A Rob is you know on the left wing back uh, crossing in the ball, you know that could land on um, McKinney's head. <laughs> uh, but if McKinney's not in there, you know that that's that's still an option if Pulisic is not able to, for some reason, where where is getting shut down. Uh, those those two guys. Yeah, um, my only opinion is that they're going to have to fire a lot. Is that they're going to get more of the possession than Wales? You know, the Wales will let them have the position. They will sit back 
a little bit, particularly the first half, and let the U.S. fire those crossing passes in. So, you know, hopefully that leads to either somebody like him with the aerial ability, you know, maybe not quite what Gareth Bale's aerial ability is, but, you know, how many players in the world, you know, have that or had that when Bale was at his peak. Right. You know, or at the very least, you know, maybe you end up with a little pinball situation. And that's where, you know, because Pulisic is not going to be getting the ball from somebody holding up the offense. If he gets it really close to goal, it seems like it's more likely going to be, you know, from a, you know, from a rebound off the goalkeeper or from the ball pinging around after a cross that's gone wild. Yeah, it's definitely when, when I was in college, uh, I, I uh, played on the soccer team and we had a British coach at the time. And uh, that guy was coaching us and telling us that uh, corner kicks for defense for the defenders was like, you know, if you were defending a corner kick, then you had it, you had the upper hand, so to speak. I mean, you had an an advantage uh, by, by placing people on the, uh, the six yard box appropriately because it was kind of like an idea of like a zonal defense, you know, but uh, it's funny how maybe the, the sentiment of, of how to defend, how to sit back and defend corner, corner kicks or crosses um, that might've changed over time. You feel like there's a lot more man marking, you know, these days than maybe sort of that zonal defense that you're talking about. Uh, well, I'm not very steeped into like, uh, you know, being a tactician while I'm watching the game. I just prefer to like, just kind of, uh, watch the game and absorb it all. Um, so I get lost uh, a lot of times when I'm watching the game, but that's, that's fine. You know, we're all, <clears throat> that happens to me almost every time. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can relate to that as I try to figure it all out. So, um uh, one more question uh, then for uh you know people like me or even my daughter or other people who are you know maybe not necessarily watching soccer for the first time. They should probably just try to absorb everything, enjoy it, you know, sure. listen to the commentators and kind of enjoy everything a little bit after the fact. That for those of us who are getting into the game in the process, but not too deep in the game. What is the, uh, not, not necessarily player wise, but probably not phrasing this. Well, what is the one, what is one thing that you would tell me to be looking for when I'm watching the game that I might not think of on my own? Um, <clears throat> in my opinion, like th- the the thing to watch is um i mean that's pretty tough but <laughs> it's just going to be you know how how disciplined the the players can implement uh greg's strategy of of his system and his system you know i don't want maybe not like i said i'm not a tac- tactician uh but uh, his system is um ends up kind of bringing a ball out wide for crosses to come in um i don't i don't see his system as um correctly fitting you know like a a, a traditional kind of style of of gameplay like you know like in the in the old days you could kind of uh you could look at a, a team like italy and expect them to to have a clear cut um effective system but with greg i mean there's there's been, like I said, some questions on that. So I, I, I think the key 
we obviously know the key is not having a, a like a traditional true nine striker like Levin, right. Lewandowski in the front. So that cannot be the key. Um, so I'm going to have to go with, you know, players like Tim Weah that can stretch out the line um, and get crosses in. Uh, so if we're seeing a lot of Wales players on defense in the middle of the field and we're not, you know, seeing the we're not seeing as many U.S. players, in the center that should not be disturbing or alarming or confusing for the newest of listeners. That's uh, perhaps by design that we'll be moving the ball up the wings for the USA and then moving the ball to the center, as opposed to maybe just everybody charging forward in a wave, you know, with slightly shorter passes, trying to advance the ball into the box. Right. And if we do get the ball, like you can look for when the ball does come into Ferreira, I mean, you can watch uh, his uh, mobility or, you know, just how he reacts to the time and space because he'll, he'll be getting shut down pretty fast, which means he's going to have to get the ball, get rid of the ball um, either. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be one touch. He's not going to have time to really uh, get himself settled in there. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be interesting to see, you know, the people behind Ferreira, like Eunice Musa or, Tyler Adams or Aaron's maybe like a guy like Aronson or McKinney. If they have the ball, are they going to Ferreira? Are they going to try to, you know, take a defender on and score, or are they going to bring the ball back around and try to come down the wing again? If Pulisic, um, if Pulisic is starting from further back, he has definitely always been a player who will uh, who will take anybody on and charge forward. Then the question will be: Is he putting himself in a scoring position, or you know, is that a point where he can work the ball further in? And then that's where you talk about not having a you know a true nine, a true goal poacher for him to dish it off to. I think. I think if he gets it in there, you know, after charging through or past somebody, the question becomes: What you know? what's he going to be able to do with the ball at that point? That's what I'm interested to see. Right. I mean, if you compare that to like a Josh Sargent, who I don't know if he'll play this first game because I feel like Greg wants to, is going to want to hurry up and get his core, you know, false nine kind of system on the, on the pitch as soon as possible. So I don't know if Josh Sargent is going to have a role in this first game, but if he were to play, then, I mean, he's a guy that can, he can score from a little bit farther out beyond the, uh, the 18 um, if he has to. So now based on your Twitter handle, I know your, 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 your official Twitter Twitter handle is CONCACAF, but your sort of uh, secondary or boldface monitor is I'm your true nine, which I've always (laughs) enjoyed because even I've understood, you know, you seem to be some, I I gather from that, maybe I'm uh, taking too much from it, that you are somebody who, wants to see you know a bona fide center of the field goal scorer somebody who can hold it up and dish it off to somebody else uh it sounds to me like you think that Ferreira uh Ferreira is the closest that we have to that am i am i reading you right on that or do you think we have somebody even stronger uh in contention for if we were to play something closer to a true nine who would that be oh i think Ferreira he's a decent you know st- nine i mean he's scored some goals you know this season for his team uh i but i i feel like he's pretty zone 
pretty like dialed into playing how Greg wants him to play, which I don't think Greg wants him to play it. Like, you know, I don't think Greg is telling him, Hey, be your, just be a true nice striker, play the beautiful game as if, you know, if you're going to strike every chance you get, you know, like, I feel like his role is to dish the ball off. Um, yeah. And Greg and Greg's system is known for being, uh, I don't know if super complicated is quite the right way to put it, but he definitely, it's a, uh, it's complicated enough that he has definitely favored some players who have shown sure. the ability and willingness to play within his system. Maybe even picking guys who will do that over, over players who have been overseas that maybe he's been able to watch or work with a little bit less. Right. And even, you know, the, the big one, big snub on this world cup roster was Ricardo Pepe and Ricardo Pepe. So, you know, he's, a younger guy, but he, he plays striker and he, I believe he has, you know, aspirations to be like, like a CONCACAF region kind of true nine, similar to maybe like a Lewandowski, like as if he looks up to that guy, unfortunately, you know, Greg's USMNT strategy doesn't seem to really cater to like a true, you know, to uh, having a team, where a true nine, you know, has, uh, like a legitimate, uh, um, yeah, he's not doing little, that. He's not doing that big broad shoulder guy in the middle thing who you can kick the ball, you know, you kick the ball into and can, uh, try to make a, you know, try to force it, you know, play off a shoulder and get a goal or, you know, or dish right. it off to somebody who's flashing through from, you know, a midfielder spot or from one of the wings yet. Yeah, Greg doesn't seem or just, you know, it doesn't, I mean, just having a, a, like a, for me, I guess it's just that I expect a national team to have both a, a good true nine striker and maybe also very good uh, false nine players. So. Yeah. It's like in basketball, you've got to, even if he's not, you know, even if it's a sixth or seventh man, there's certain, you know, you know, I grew up in Iowa where they don't exactly, you know, grow the biggest, tallest, you know, thickest setters usually, but you still got to have, a fifth or sixth guy off the bench, you know, okay, get that seven footer from over in England who, you know, <laughs> right. is still working on his basketball skills, but at least he can fill the lane a little bit. I don't know that this is a particularly apt analogy, but by the same token, I think I know what you're saying. And you know, have and somebody just, who can fill the role to some degree, because sure. depending on who you're playing, that might really be your best, you know, your best way to go. And also, you know, like most children that start playing soccer, like, uh, toddlers not toddlers but maybe older um you know they they have a good sense of what is you know what makes the game beautiful and especially you know when they see people taking beautiful strikes um that's what i call you know that's part of the beautiful game you know like and that's what they look up to so like i feel like we should have more strikers that are playing that beautiful strike game uh yeah. because i don't think a lot of kids aspire to be false nine you know like who who wants to live up to this idea of you know like i'm just i'll be way up real close to the opposing team's um goal but i'll just dish the ball off when i get it you know that's unfortunate part of um like a false nine kind of yeah. Well, Strategy. if the U.S. can get six or seven points out of the group stage in advance, I think that uh, kids watching the game, uh, you know, maybe maybe for the first time or at the very least their first World Cup, that success will 
you know, success will breed fran- fandom, however it comes. But yeah, that is an aspect of the beautiful game that the the current USMNT system uh, doesn't doesn't seem to be embracing. But still, I'll say if uh, if I've got to get uh, you know if I got to see headers going in, that's great too. <laughs> all <laughs> all the goals coming from the red, white, and blue. Uh, red, white, and blue. I don't care if they're chip shots. You know, they catch catch whales sleeping after a counterattack or something. You know, they'll all be beautiful. <laughs> Great. So um, uh, predictions. Let's get into a prediction. How do you feel like, I mean, everybody's a little bit down on England, even though they're ranked something like number six by FIFA. And then you've got uh, one of the two big powers in Asia right now in our group in, uh, in Iran. And then you've got Wales, which is not... I think other than Poland, they're the lowest seeded team coming out of Europe uh, into this event, but they're still in the top 20 in the world. Where do you, uh, you know, I think people are predicting this to be the most competitive group, but I'll still ask, where do you see it going? Well, I think this for the U.S., well, actually, maybe for all the teams in our group, this first game uh, is pretty critical because, in my opinion, uh, I think uh, the second and third game is where, you know, the intensity is going to be ramped up really high um, and teams are going to have ironed out their mistakes. Uh, so yeah. I think you want, to, you want to go into the, you want to go into the second set of match days with at least a point. You can't fall on your face. Not in sure. So I think the U S can definitely win this, uh, this, I think the U S is going to come out with uh, solid three points against Wales and um, with Iran, I think that's a situation I don't fully understand, like how they're going to respond while they have like all these uh, different kinds of domestic political uh, issues at home. Um, you know, that's going to be interesting. But, you know, the you know, fact is that, you know, while the Asia is not, you know, it's probably third amongst the major continental confederations, you've got some you know, you've only got a couple of teams outside the top uh, 40 or 50 coming into the World Cup from the AFC, and Iran's not one of them. Iran is one of the uh, uh, two big ones, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe along with, uh, you know, they're, 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 not, they're not Qatar, the host team that may sure. or may not have qualified had they not been, you know, the host country. This is a team that's had a lot of success at the continental level, and it'll be interesting to see how that stacks up in the first match against England. I gotta, I have a hard time seeing England unless they make mistakes, you know, not taking three points from Iran, but it'll be interesting to see how Iran competes because that in turn will tell us that, you know, what level of success, you know, can they, can we expect them to have against teams that are just a little bit, you know, lower in the world pecking order like the U.S. and Wales. Right. And Iran, you know, they've got a great coach, uh, although he just got hired recently because they got rid of their old coach. But this the Kier- Carlos Kiros, uh, he's been in the World Cup before as a coach. So, I mean, he's got a lot of experience. That could be a big X factor for them, too. It's certainly going to be an exciting uh, group stage to watch. It's going to be a thrilling event to watch, obviously only coming every four years, at least in the men's iteration. I'm equally looking forward to the uh, women's game, uh, the women's tournament next year as, as a little bit more parity gets introduced and, you know, go USA. Sure. But I'm glad to see them getting some competition from places like Japan and Germany and right. other places around the world catching up. But in terms of this men's world cup uh, uh, gaff, 
cannot thank you enough for uh, joining us on our humble little show. I know that I have learned a ton listening to you talk about it. I feel like a fraud whenever I talk for more than about 10 seconds about things I think that I've read or seen and try to put it together with up, you know, with what I see on the screen when I'm watching games, but with your help and the uh, help of other folks, you know, on Twitter and who are going to be coming on the show, we've got a second host lined up already. Amazingly. Great. Uh, who knows? We might have to change the name of the show someday. So if you ever choose to join us again, and I hope you will, uh, maybe you'll have a better, uh, maybe you can tell us what to name the show other than Soccer Noob. Maybe <laughs> just I like it. I guy like watching it. Uh, games. <laughs> I mean, thanks. Thanks again for having me and being a, you know, a great host. Um, uh, like I'm just here to have fun mainly. So I hope everybody else can do that too. And feel free to pick whoever you want on this roster uh don't have to follow what everybody else is doing just have fun and hopefully enjoy this uh world cup it's only once every four years yes we know there's a lot of bad you know kind of been a lot of bad news and pr spinning out there around qatar and we don't want to ignore that but by the same token you know it, it's a football party Let, let's enjoy it and let's enjoy it until they uh you know, start playing closing time all right. Thanks again for having me. And uh, please tell soccer noob I said hello. I will. Little P noob was uh, thrilled and surprised to hear that we had a uh, a host. And I will. And I will also tell her about the uh, the little figure that you had to show her. Oh yeah, <laughs> Dia de los Muertos or something when we were on video <laughs> earlier. All right. Have a super day. Enjoy the tournament, and we will catch you on Twitter side as well. All right. Thank you.